And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Edition of the Hagman Report. It is Thursday, December 14, 2007. We have a great show lined up for you today. Keith Hansen, bottom of this hour. And then, uh, top of next hour, Steve Quayle, Derek Gilbert taking us out. But a lot of news to get into in the meantime. FBI text revealed insurance policy to prevent Trump presidency. We can't take that risk. FBI officials discuss insurance policy against Trump presidency. I dealt with this in my morning show. Welcome to the Hagman Report, of course, our flagship show, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. It's heard on the Global Star Radio Network and BTR and YouTube Live. But, um, yeah, dealt with this on, on, on the morning show. Uh, there's a lot going on, obviously. A lot going on behind the scenes, a lot going on with respect to the takedown, the takeout of our presidency, our constitutional republic. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a war. And, and you know, Joe, Let's let's get right into this, okay? Yeah. Um, look, I'm not seeing any kind of um, attempt or any kind of actions by Robert Mueller, the special counsel, favorable to Donald Trump. Are you? Well, no. I mean, what what do you what would you expect to see? Well, uh, you know, you hear these these some of these oh, you know, what people we go out back there to, uh, about you know the Mueller. Secretly working with yes. Trump to drain oh, the, the indictments and, and the sealed indictments yeah, yeah. and yeah, I, I, I'm not seeing any of that. I, I see no love there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I was unimpressed after watching the totality of um, Rosenstein his his appearance yesterday. I mean, five hours. I'm not seeing any. You know, look, there's, I'm not impressed by his um, uh, his testimony. Well, I have no confidence. They, they, they need to gut the FBI and, and the Department of Justice. Fully gut both. I mean, fully right. and, gut. And what we, what we learned, with the exception of rank and file agents on the ground. I know a lot of good agents, by the way. Go ahead. What we learned through this is not of the Trump-Russia collusion, but of the Hillary Clinton FBI DOJ DNC collusion, media That's collusion. Right. That took place before the election. It's not collusion, it's conspiracy. Yeah, absolutely, it's a conspiracy. And they were all involved in it at the deepest levels. Uh, hence, you know, you see Comey at the head of the FBI, Loretta Lynch, the tarmac meeting, uh, and so much more there. And the only thing that has come from Rosenstein testifying is a number of lawmakers demanding more answers about the FBI and the anti-Trump text and the FBI's role in the Election and one of them is Senator Chuck Grassley is calling on the Justice Department to hand over more information regarding the text, text messages exchanged between two senior FBI employees and any commu- communications that they had with FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. And he's not the only one calling for more information into this, and we see others calling for a special counsel uh, to look into these matters. But it's not going to go anywhere. 
It doesn't look, matter. I, look, I, I think I think Judicial Watch is going to get the records first, but it, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, you know, uh, you'd have okay. to bring down half of the DOJ and FBI's top brass. <sighs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. But uh, I, I've got to hold out some level of hope that there's in some way that we are going to see justice served. Come on, we 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 cannot. Uh, who? How is it possible that we, with all of this criminality, that we, that we're not going to find or not going to witness anyone? From the Hillary, Clinton, uh, Obama, uh, Loretta Lynch, Mueller, Comey camp in handcuffs. Or is that what you're saying? We're not going to see any not, justice served? No. Nope. Nope. No, not at all. Can, I mean, can, can we fashion up a revolt because of this? I mean, yeah, if, we can. But, but is, is there I mean, gonna... that's what it's going to take if you want to see that kind of action and that kind of justice. 500,000, a million people protesting in front of uh, the DOJ or the FBI, and that's just not going to happen. I mean, these people are not going to investigate and incarcerate themselves. <laughs> uh, uh, true. So, uh, and, what's your confidence level in Congress? In, in well, what Congress can Congress do? do? They can only well, subpoena people right. and gather information. Right. Then they task the DOJ with investigating based on the information that they find. So again. Um, you know they're not going to investigate themselves. You know, um, I'm, I'm listening to comments by uh, Andrew McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, and you know, I I don't agree with everything he says, and certainly I'm not in agreement with his latest statements about uh, there's really no criminal, uh, there, there's nothing criminal to be found with respect to the texts and, and some of the activities and the actions of the FBI. But I don't believe it's been fully investigated to make that determination. And also, um, I heard this, either heard this or read this yesterday, the whole purpose of an inspe- a special counsel is is first, one of the first and foremost things about the special counsel is it's supposed to be impartial. It's supposed well, to be yeah. free of conflict of interest, free of any, even, even a, a hint of conflict of interest. <laughs> and here, you know, you have these same people who are, investigating Trump-Russia collusion, the same people who basically conspired to create the Trump-Russia collusion. Not only that, they let Hillary Clinton and anybody and everybody that was surrounded with her off with immunity uh, by changing things in the uh, rulings, like we saw the language from gross negligence. Uh, and it's just it's unfathomable. And all this has come out in the public. We see the extent, at least the, the very tip of the extent of how deep the corruption in the FBI and DOJ goes. And as you said, once more things start to become uncovered, uh, it'll be interesting what we find, but I guarantee there's going to be something there. And we've only read, what, almost 400 text messages out of 10,000? Yeah. But no, no no investigations into this. It's a vast right-wing conspiracy. It's craziness. You know, you're just ignoring, you're distracting from Trump's investigation and the Russian collusion. This is what we hear by the media, if they even bother to address it. And there doesn't seem to be much support in Washington to move on the on, on this. It seems like only a very ha- small handful of people are in an uproar and calling for this to be looked at, looked into. But it's it's not gaining any traction among establishment GOP independents that would make any meaningful difference. Well, true. Um, at this point, where is Sessions? Well, that, that's the other thing. Where is Sessions? Sessions has not picked up the white courtesy phone. He's not responded to anything. He's recused himself, which leaves Rosenstein 
in a position to make the calls, which is untenable. So, okay, what's left? Now, uh, all right, I can tell you this, uh, Seculo, uh, part of Donald Trump's legal team, I do believe, Seculo, for uh, what he has said, that they do have a, a decent relationship, a transparent relationship with Mueller, but I think that's going to come back and bite him in the butt. Um, I, 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 I would, I, look, I'm, I'm in favor of having Donald Trump fire, um, or have Donald Trump asking Rosenstein to fire Mueller for cause, and that cause being ethics violations and violations. Okay, I can get behind that. Okay. But, but Rosenstein's not going to do it. And, so then you'd have a Saturday Night Massacre appearance. And what, okay, this is, there's, this is the, take us down an interesting path in this conversation. I read a report today on, an interesting poll that spoke of that talked about the conflict of interest and the bias in the Mueller investigation and i don't remember the exact numbers but it wasn't along partisan lines it wasn't polling republicans separate from democrats it was just a general poll and i'll look for the article but what it said was that 54% of americans don't believe that Mueller's investigation is fair or balanced or uh, that there is bias there. They believe there is bias there, over 54%. So this is creating a credibility conflict inside the Mueller investigation. Now, if Trump were to fire Mueller, he would then have the uh, appearance of some kind of wrongdoing, having fired Comey, even though Comey said he was not investigating Trump, he was instead investigating the election attempted uh, collusion or whatever, not collusion, manipulation by Russia. When Trump fired Comey, he got accused of obstruction of justice. If he were to fire Robert Mueller, even with cause, right, he would, whether true or not, the perception would be painted that he is further obstructing, and he is, uh, you know, hiding, doing this to hide something. To hide some right. some uh, charge or, or whatever information that was going to come out about okay. it. But again, the yeah. public poll that I read today was over fifty four percent plus believe Robert Mueller's credibility is damaged in this investigation. So that well, was gee, you know, there is some hope. But but okay, what I, I, I in my morning show I played a, a thirty second clip or a fifteen second clip. I don't, I have not heard anyone talk about this, and um, I don't have the clip in front of me, but it was from a um, Democrat from Washington State who said, who asked Mueller or Rosenstein if the special counsel would investigate claims relating to the sexual allegations against Donald Trump. Meaning, I, I guess, meaning would they expand that special counsel investigation well beyond the allegations of collusion, collusion with Russia. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a problem right there. And I think that, that one 15-second audio segment to me tells me more than I need to know with respect to the intent of this political assassination that's going on. And... and let me ask the listeners and viewers out there, have you ever in your life, I'm talking about people over 50 years old, like me, all right, in your lifetime, have you ever seen 
any anything like this. This no. Are you over fifty? Oh, I didn't hear that part. Sorry, you weren't. I thought you said anybody See, who anyone. I wasn't who, listening. I was reading. You know, thirty-four years of I, I wasn't listening. That's you know, that's the father saying that. Uh, you raised kids. I, I didn't. What'd you say? I, I didn't hear you. Didn't hear you, Dad. You go on the lawn. Didn't hear you. This is a political assassination, I, the likes of which we've never seen. This is to sabotage the president as well as the office of the president. This is to take down our representative republic. Some call it a democracy. If if you want, if you say this is to take down our democracy, I'm not going to fight you over semantics. We have larger fights to get into. Um, the, the fact is, the the claims, by the way, of the conservatives, of the people on Fox News, Alex Jones, Roger Stone, their claims were bore, were, were proven accurate. Judge Napolitano got on was on Fox News back in what, February, March. Remember that wiretapping statement from Donald Trump that that put everyone in a tizzy. Wiretapping, you know, shame. It was about him being wiretapped. Well, he's been proven right, and the wiretap originated the the candidate as a candidate. He was wiretapped as the president elect. He was wiretapped, and as the president, he was wiretapped. And, and he was wiretapped on the basis of it's a lie. The, wiretapped. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, it's not. I know, but GCHQ out of out of the UK uh, was part and parcel of this. But but it was originated. Um, the NSA also was part of this. But right, it was multiple levels. Right. The FISA warrant secured through the dossier, which exactly. is a whole other scandal in itself. Yeah, I was having the, trouble articulating that. Yeah, to what the NSA uh, has done to other. Um, Targeting through wiretapping of foreign officials and whatnot, which was separate also, which is what apparently got Flynn caught up in some stuff. But hey, I'd be remiss to—I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Nice broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks, OmahaSteaks.com, the best of the best, twenty-one age, twenty-one day aged beef. My goodness, it's just—it's flavorful, melt in your mouth, filet mignon. It's—it's it's great stuff. Go to OmahaSteaks.com. Type in HH in the search bar if you have anybody on your list that's, well, this is a perfect gift for anyone. And, you know, while you're doing your Christmas shopping there, there's still time left. Go to omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar while you're doing your Christmas shopping there. Um, get yourself a, a pack of my family pack for under 50 bucks. Again, omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. More on that later. Go ahead, Joe. I didn't, didn't mean to over talk. Well, no, I, I just wanted to point out that, you know, just look to, the road that got us here and all of the the garbage that the mainstream media has spewed out all of the uh, behind the scenes stuff that we've seen and in it from the wire look just look at all the way back into january was that january 20th the day of the inauguration when they printed that story in the new york times about the wire president being wiretapped and remember how he was a liar and this and that then it came out they did have fisa warrants and this whole he's been he trump has been just destroyed by the media or attempted to be destroyed by the media in any and every turn he takes and especially with the 
this whole Russia collusion thing, I mean, this was a narrative that was created right out of the heart of the DNC and Hillary Clinton campaign and spoon-fed to the media so that we, uh, so he, they could try to change the public relations image of Trump and, the, and that uh, swell of ground support that he had. And what they have been able to do through this is to block themselves from so much of the criticism and um, the digging of people into what their actions were during this election. It's almost like a, it was a move of distraction. They know that they're guilty. They know what they did. You know, they went out probably along not only ethical lines, but legal lines, breaking the law to try to secure the win for Hillary Clinton. Then, when they find out they're not going to, you know, be protected anymore, they have to have a strategy in order so they don't get brought up on charges themselves for what they've done. And this is their strategy. This this strategy is, this is banana republic. This is Soviet style in my view. And, and you've got deep state swamp lawyers. You, you've got four corrupt swamp lawyers Right. Inspiring to take down the president to, to, to cover their own butts. You've got Comey, the the leaker, the ringleader who took million dollar corporate bribes to protect the Clintons for the last twenty two years. Uh, think Lockheed uh, Martin, HSBC, uh, Paola. You've got Robert Mueller, the mule. While FBI director, he covered up corrupt Clinton uranium yeah. one deal. Let me ask you this. If Trump wasn't in the White House, do you think that we would see more of a willingness to investigate the Clinton side? If it was, a, <laughs> if it was more of a, a GOP mainstream candidate? I ask that because... Uh, yeah. Ah, man. Wait a minute. With who in the White House, did you say? With any any Republican aside no, from Trump. Because no, Trump was no, such an outsider. It no. seems like these people are willing to no. forego Hillary's corruption... To ensure Donald no. Trump is not president for whatever their own yeah. purposes. Are. I, I, I see where you're going with that, with that line of thought. And it, it, it almost sounds reasonable until you think that they're all part of this. They're all covering mm-hmm. their butts. Because if you look back, you know, the Gang of Eight, look at it. It's no longer a Republican versus Democrat issue. It hasn't been for decades. It's, it's the globalists. It's the, uh, the deep state versus the rest of us. That's the way I look at it. And you've got the, the, you would not have had, I think with any establishment individual in the White House, you would not have had, you would, Comey would still be where, where he was. Yeah. Um, well, see, cause you had all these people in the FBI, in the DOJ, helping Hillary Clinton and, and in the media who thought that they were going to be looked upon with favor for what they were doing to protect her. They were going to have, Access. They were going to, you know, be able to, to get different contracts and line their pockets with money because of the access they had. They were going to be protected and not have to, you know, all this stuff with Trump was going to go away once Hillary Clinton won the election. But, and this is why, you know, there's an obscure quote of Hillary Clinton that sounds a lot like something George Bush said. And I'm going to try and find the quote to get it right, but I'll paraphrase it now. Something along the lines of, uh, if the people ever found out what we did, you know, they would, they would hang us, something like that. I know that you sounds know, like a George Bush okay. quote. No, D- Doug Weed, and I, I'm not sure. Of, honestly, I'm not sure of the uh, legitimacy of that quote. Okay, I'm looking okay. right now. No, she was reportedly to have said that on election night. If if that, um, I think she said that bastard wins. Maybe she used another expletive. I don't know. Okay, so that was a quote attributed to her by somebody listening, right. hearing, say, allegedly hearing it. The, the closest thing I, I heard to. I heard anyone of credibility validate that was 
the uh, presidential historian Doug Weed, who's was in contact with some people who were present on election night, and he had suggested that something something very close to that was said, but it, it, he didn't come right out and say that it, okay. it was that statement. But well, I believe I that statement's yeah, like very accurate, yeah. whether she said oh, yeah. it or not. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but you know, of course, the latest Bruce Orr and Nellie Orr, the um, the uh, oh, Bruce Orr working for Rod Rosenstein, and uh, Nellie Orr working for Fusion GPS, his wife. Uh, I'm going to throw out a couple more names. You're going to you're going to be hearing about these people in the near future. Aaron Zebley, he was Mueller's right hand man, his chief of staff at FBI. And let's uh, another one. Um, Although Sean Hannity has mentioned Janine Marie, she's the attorney for the Clinton Foundation and also a former Obama DOJ political appointee. Now, she's working on Mueller's team. You're going to be hearing more. There's going to be more disclosures about her. There's a lot, a lot of stuff to come out yet about her. And also a guy by the name of Andrew, or I'm sorry, Bill Priestep, P-R-I-E-S-T-E-P, um, his work with the confidential informant as the Uranium One story gets gets going. Um, and Lisa Page and um, uh, Peter Strzok's wife. Follow the wives, by the way. I know George Webb had, uh, had mentioned a few things about this. This is a good thing to do. Follow the wives as well as we follow the money. There's a lot to be said about the spousal, the integration of spouses into this. But and, anyway. And back to Jeff Sessions real quick. Yeah. I'm starting to wonder. What, I remember, I, I understand why, what his excuse was as to why he recused himself. But. What, well, he couldn't, he could not be impartial based on. <laughs> why, wait a minute, why did he recuse himself? What was his what was his stated reason for Okay, if I remember right and I'll look this up, it's because he it goes back to uh what CNN reported that they had to re, reported in May that they had to retract which which goes to him him sitting at a meeting where an, a Russian ambassador was that he didn't disclose to the FBI. And I I'm I'm about 90% sure that's the reason he recused himself, but there has to be they either have something on him or he was just steamrolled, being you know too nice of a guy. I'm just starting to wonder. Either that recusal was more strategic well. and Look, done for Hillary Clinton's purposes more yeah. so than anything else. You, you need a bulldog in there as a depart, uh, uh, attorney general. You don't need some some guy. You don't need a nice guy for an attorney general. You need a bulldog. And, and you know what? I'll take the job. Yeah, throw me in there. I don't need to be an attorney. Uh, I just I just need some targets. That's all. And I, 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 I I'd be in a target rich environment there. I'd last about what fifteen minutes. Okay, because I've got too many here. scandals, you know. <laughs> I, I'm sure I'd be accused of, you know, well, never mind. But, but by the way, I want to remind people about remember Hillary Clinton. Remember the uh, Rose Law Firm or the I'm sorry, the 800 uh, FBI files. Go back and think about that. Remember that back in. Um, my goodness, when was it? Uh, in the nineties, I believe it was. Uh, there's some, uh, I'm okay, going to be getting right. into, I'm going to be getting into some things here. 
He uh, did recuse himself. Okay, for, but for what? But what was his stated Because reason? he, he uh, did not disclose meetings that he had with the Russians in his security clearance forms. But uh, if I remember right. exactly what this was, it was... It wasn't a meeting he had with any Russian one-on-one. It was like a group thing, and there was somebody there uh, who was Russian. It, it just it furthers my so idea that Russian this is a joke. A salad, right? It, it, it's okay. a joke, and, and there's something more going on with Sessions because you don't step down as the top law enforcement uh, personnel in the land because you forgot to, to disclose that somebody was sitting at your table, you know, 20 years ago. There's something more going on there, and it's really bugging me lately these last few days. Well, uh, one thing that's bothering me, and I, I just mentioned this earlier, but I, I, I want to go back to 1993, 1994. Um, well, Filegate, which really became hit, hit the um, hit the airwaves back in '96, or, or made made news back in '96. And this was uh, referencing what Filegate was referencing is the White House oh. FBI file con- controversy, the Clintons. In the White House, Bill and Hillary, um, they they had access to over a two year period to FBI files, FBI security clearance documents, and you remember this, folks? Remember this? This back in in ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, and this coming to coming to fruition back in ninety six. All right, but I think that this I I really believe that there is some. There, there, there's a connection here to, to that when the background investigation or the background files were found. I mean, you're looking at nearly a thousand files. And remember Craig Livingstone, the director uh, of the White House Office of Personal Security or Personnel Security? <laughs> wonder where he is right now. What bar he's tending at, at the moment. Craig Livingstone. I don't remember him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Oh, you, oh, you, you saw, yeah, you, you, maybe if I, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, no, I, I think that there's a connection to, I, I really think that, that, that if you look back into, into Filegate, I really believe that there's a connection to what we're seeing today to Filegate. So anyway, Keith Hansen's going to, let's get the break. We'll yeah, keep going. And yeah, we'll, let's just, let's just get Keith Hansen on when he's ready. Um, I want to kind of switch gears go ahead. here. Um, I don't know how many people saw this. If you go to HagmanReport.com, if you want to watch the video of this, uh, CNN gloats, screams, and laughs at black woman who lost her job in the Trump administration. I don't know how many people watched the first season of The Apprentice, uh, the Donald Trump show, and there was a, a lady named Omarosa who, I don't remember if she won or not. I think she did. Oh, but I, she was, uh, she's been a longtime yeah. Trump friend and <laughs> the Rose Garden raid. You're going to mention so, that, yeah. So there were there have been reports of uh, that she was, you know, there was a few reports that one she was dragged, she was fired and dragged from the White House by Secret Service. There's another reports that uh, she caused the you know a ruckus and pulled fire alarms on her way out. All these stories, which none of them turned out to be true, the Secret Service even came out in, on Twitter and issued some tweets saying uh, that she was not escorted out of the or she was not. Um, you know, forcibly taken out of the building. None of this stuff was true. Well, CNN, and this article is up on Hagman Report. You can watch the video there. Female panel on Wednesday night, and they screamed and laughed at Armorosa losing yeah, her job. I, I mean, they were that. celebrating it. I saw and, that. And you know, you talk about the war on women. <laughs> and there's a great write up on the Daily Caller 
dealing with this, but it, it just shows the, the left's hypocrisy. You know, how they, they say they stand up for values and, and women's rights and the, the Republicans have a war on women. And then they show the pattern of how, you know, people like Kellyanne Conway, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and on and on and on just get, you know, roasted in the media. Did you, did you see Mike's, Mike Huckabee's, uh, uh, Tell Mika Brzezinski to go pound sand over. over yes, and Brzezinski, you know, <laughs> Brzezinski has some apparently some personal feud with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They've been, I mean, she's been going on and on and on about her in her on Joe Scarborough Morning Joe Show. And yeah, there was two interesting audios from from this morning. I'm gonna but, tell you, Joe, if I if I was Mika, I'd be Mika wearing called, a, if I, I'd be wearing a, ba- a, a, a bicycle helmet around the house. Yeah, uh, she, this morning she called Sarah Huckabee Sanders. A, uh, Mika did a sleaze bag, predictably stupid. And uh, this is just this ongoing pattern of of behavior. But I said that to say, apparently the the war on women uh, only counts if you're on the left side of the aisle. Because if you're a woman and you're on the right side of the aisle, you're fair game. Just like a lot of these these sexual assault charges, you see uh, some of the same people who say all women must be heard taking sides when it comes to their their favorite Democrats and saying, well, you know, he shouldn't resign and this and that. But it, it's just crazy. So anyway, they made this big fake news story about Omarosa having been dragged out of the White House, kicking and screaming, and she went on ABC this morning. And uh, there are some interesting uh, exchanges in that interview, but. As I said, the Secret Service came out and denied it. And apparently she's going to be selling rights to a book and writing a book soon about her White House experience, which I find interesting because she's making claims that she saw things in the White House that made her uncomfortable and she has a story to tell. I think she's just jargoning for book sales. But either way. Uh, I, I saw things I can't unsee. <laughs> you got to be kidding me, man. I, look, the, the left freak show. The progressive sleaze buckets on the left, uh, and, and I'm sorry if if that offends you, but 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 all of this to bring us to the brink, in my view, of a constitutional crisis, and to to, to, to bring, celebrate it, and to, right to celebrate this, you know, of all the of if you think back to the investigations into the background of Barack Obama, everything that we had done, the the right had done. Um, the cold case posse, Mike Zullo, uh, Carl Gallup, Sheriff Joe Arpaio was done with, with, with respect, respectability. And it was done with, uh, uh, no one celebrated the fact that, that there were nine points of forgery on his birth documents. No one celebrated that. Um, but, but so, so the, the difference, there's a stark difference between the right and the left. You've got the conservatives, the, uh, Versus the progressive lunatics. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. I, no, and there's just other stories out here right now. You know, people you're going to see in the in the news in the coming days. You know, Omarosa being paid to stay silent, and you know, we're going to we need to hear her story. What does she know? All this craziness behind it. I believe it's just a a thing to sell books. But um, I, I also wanted to point out the hypocrisy of those women on CNN tearing her down and laughing at her departure from the White House. It's the yeah. hypocrisy that, that is the worst because these are the same people who will turn around and vilify Donald Trump saying, you know, he treats women badly and this and that. Meanwhile, they're the ones who are publicly, um, you know, mocking her. And it's, it's just, uh, disingenuous and it's, uh, I'm telling you though, it's getting old. We, we're gonna, we're gonna see this, uh, this sudden, I, th- I think it's, it's gonna appear sudden on the horizon. This group, of women being paraded out and oh yeah this, this renewal of, of charges of of sexual uh, 
inappropriate behavior levied against Donald Trump. Did you see Bill O'Reilly claim that his lawyer heard a tape of a woman being offered $200,000 to say that she was sexually assaulted by Trump? O'Reilly said his lawyer yeah, heard it and, yeah. and explained to him what was on the, the tape and that he might file suit to get the tape into the public arena. Did, was it disclosed who made that offer? No. I didn't, if it was, I didn't hear that part. I just, uh, I just saw where he said his lawyer definitely heard the tape and he was the one who filled them in, filled them in on what was on the tape. $200,000 offered to a woman to, to make up allegations against Donald Trump and I believe that that's exactly what you're going to see. They're going to find the people. There will be people who take the money and they're going to try to use this to, you know, get Trump to resign. We're already seeing Democratic Senator Camilla Harris calling for Trump to resign over the already accusations that were made. So, you know, just like you said, they're going to roll out old accusers. They're going to find new ones or fake ones to pay. Camilla Harris is going to be on the ticket. Oh, yeah, she will. And we have Keith. All right. Well, let's get to Keith Hansen. Keith Hansen coming back. No break. Uh, it's all material. Keith Hansen, welcome to the Hagman Report, sir. Welcome back. Hey, guys. How are you? Great to be Fantastic. back with you, Doug, Joe. Hope everything's it, going well. It is. In fact, it is. In fact, the last time you were on, um, you had caused, you did, you did this great, um, what would you call it? This analogy about vehicles versus guns—I believe it was at the time. But you—it no, was, uh, was, was satire. It was my own little yeah, version satire. of the Onion. There um, you go. And it was actually kind of funny because there were a couple of people on Twitter that thought I was being serious. I know, like, I know. Come on, dude. This is called satire. This is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor. This is how normal, sane, rational people deal with stupidity. We make fun of it. <laughs> We don't get butt hurt. We don't find safe spaces. We don't cry for puppies and kittens. We don't have focus groups, and we don't demand that other people change their behavior. But I well, I, I, I had to be medicated for several days thereafter. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was great because I, I got emails, and it was you, you had people going. And it was just, it was just fantastic. So, uh, we well, you know, it back. would have been, it, it would have been more humorous had it not been for the fact that uh, two or three days after I delivered that monologue, there was a New York State Congressman who actually introduced a piece of legislation called the 2017 Vehicle Ramming Protection Act, which <laughs> it passed would tap the TSA with establishing a rubric that would be used by minimum wage earning Home Depot employees to test the veracity of a person's claim that they're renting a pickup truck for legitimate purposes. No, I, I can't. I, wait, wait a second. Are, are you serious? I'm absolutely Yes, they'll look it up. It's the uh, 2017 Vehicle Ramming Protection Act. I kid you not. I couldn't make this stuff up if I tried. Oh man, you couldn't got to be kidding me. And the whole thing was to establish some type of, again, questionnaire, some type of rubric, which again, you would have people in places where, and I'm sorry if, if you hear an interruption, so my, my caller ID is beeping in the background, um, that, uh, people in Home Depot or Lowe's or any other type of place like that that would potentially rent a flatbed pickup truck or a rider truck would be responsible for questioning a person about their intent for the use of said motor vehicle. And so, you know, I mean, I could just imagine how easy it would be to, to thwart that. Uh, is there a particular reason why you want to rent the truck? Well, yeah, I'm moving furniture. Huh. Oh, okay. Where are you moving the furniture from? Well, Maple Street to Oak Street. Uh, uh, well, okay, sounds good to me. Sign on the dotted line. So, wow. again, you know, the, 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 the progressive liberal Democrats' response 
to a situation is, again, to legislate morality into people and evil out of their hearts. And you and I know that we can't do that. That's completely ridiculous. I did hear you saying earlier, um, you know, the differences between the left and the right. And, you know, I was thinking about that because I, I, I've been pretty fired up today, i got to be honest with you. And I think really what fired me up the most is the waking up this morning to find out that a politician, uh, Kentucky State Representative Dan Johnson, who is a Republican, not that it matters, actually took his own life in response to allegations of sexual misconduct, sexual impropriety. You know, and you talk about the left, you talk about the right, you talk about the differences between the two. And the difference between the two, quite frankly, Doug and Joe, is that they have no sense of right or wrong. They have no sense of morality. There is no, they are morally bankrupt people. They have no God. They have no religion. They have no sense of right or wrong. The only thing that they have is a goal of winning and control. And that's it. And they will stop at nothing. I, you know, while I was on hold, I was listening to your conversation about Amorosa. It doesn't matter. All that matters is exactly what Rahm Emanuel said right after the election, which is we have to stop worrying about being right, and we just have to start worrying about winning. And that's all they care about. And it's a win. A win when you're a liberal progressive Democrat, a win is a win is a win by any means necessary. And now you have people that are killing themselves rather than face the humiliation and the scorn and the scarlet letter that does not go away when somebody levies an accusation like that. And I'm, and I'm really, really fired up about this because this is getting to the point where it's out of control. That anybody can make an anonymous accusation against somebody, a person's life is destroyed before a judgment is ever rendered in a court of law. That battle is fought in the court of public opinion. That person's life is destroyed, their career is destroyed, their family is destroyed. And if it is determined that there is some type of exaggeration or embellishment or that accusation is outright false, what is the legal ramifications for the accuser? No, you're right, How Keith, is then. that person allowed to, to, to be made whole? What mechanism is in place to make that person whole after their life, their livelihood, their family has been destroyed because of a politically motivated, I'm not saying, you know, I'm sure that there are some of these accusations that are legitimate, and some of them were, maybe some of these people did actually do what they did. But we have to look at the cultural roots of what's happening, and when you look at the cultural roots of what's happening, the whole reason why all of this is happening is because of the steps that the liberal progressives have been making ever since the 50s to destroy the family, to destroy what the image of a man is, to, to, to make a man, for all intents and purposes, a pussy, a beta, destroy the family, and make government the head of the household. No, you're absolutely right. And in the case of, of uh, Dan Johnson, I know he, I, was, I read some stuff on him this morning, he also struggled for 16 years with PTSD, and I'm sure uh, that these latest allegations uh, you know, just made it that much worse. But who knows what he was going through and, and what led him to commit suicide. But Keith, you're absolutely right. I, I said that, you know, these congressmen who are resigning, like Al Franken, the senator, that they should not resign. There has to be a mechanism, a mechanism in place for, uh, you know, a, or at least a process that people go through when these allegations are levied. You cannot, uh, accept or, or expect a man to, you know, just leave his job at just an allegation that anybody can make. And think that this is somehow a good thing. Well, Keith, where does where do you okay? 
I'm tongue-tied. Where, where does it stop? Or that's the thing. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it, help it me doesn't out here. stop. It doesn't stop. We're, we're, I mean, this is this is like that that snowball that's just rolling down the hill and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And unfortunately, it becomes an avalanche and it just picks up everything in its path. And you know, you talk about Al Franken resigning, but but here's the thing: with Al Franken, that was a choice. Al Franken didn't have to step down. He yielded to pressure that was being put on him on both sides of the aisle. But he didn't have to step down. It's the people, after an allegation is made, the most recent one here, Tavis Smiley. Not that I'm a fan of his. I think I've maybe watched 10 minutes of his show before I turned it off and discussed. But just because I don't like his topics and just because I don't like what he's talking about, I don't believe that he should go off air. I don't think, I don't believe in censorship. I believe in if you want to listen to them, great. And if you let the free market decide what people want to hear and what people don't want to hear. That's why liberal progressive talk radio has never, ever been successful. But conservative Republican radio, libertarian radio, radio, free market capitalistic constitutional conservative radio, man alive is it rocking and rolling. So let the free market decide. And if a person doesn't like Tavis Smiley, you know, then great. They don't have to watch him. So I, I wouldn't be a person that would abdicate, oh, great, thank God he, he lost his show. Just as much as I think repre, uh, uh, Chelsea Handler is a represent, uh, re reprehensible hag. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate for her show going off air. I would just say she'll do a good job of putting herself off air herself just by virtue of what she's putting forth. The point I'm trying to make is that, that to have an accusation made and then your show gets, I mean, Garrison Keeler, accusations made, they pull his show. Tavis Sh uh, uh, Smiley, an accusation is made, he loses his show. It's this knee-jerk reaction. We don't want to come under fire, they being the executives or the, uh, the, the producers or whoever it is that happens to be behind the show. We don't want to come under fire because we're supporting or defending this individual or we're advocating for the process to work its way through the court system and reserve judgment before we take action against this individual. It's, oh, we're going to yield to the public pressure because we don't want that microscope, that scrutiny being put on us. So what do they do? They pull the plug. And so this is going to become the new weapon of warfare in the liberal progressive Democrats' attack on anything that they don't like. They're going to make accusations. And they'll go after it. They've been consuming their own. They've spent the past year consuming their own. So they will continue to consume their own. That, to a, to a liberal progressive, that is collateral damage. And collateral damage is acceptable if the greater whole, the, the greater battle is won. And you're exactly right. Just just bowing to the will of public opinion and public pressure is uh, just such a bad precedent to set. And over and over, we talked about here how, you know, at the even the very beginning of this, how they were going to use this to roll this back around and try to ensnare Trump and get him to resign and call for investigations. And it is crazy to see what what's happening. And then you have, you know, uh, the hypocrisy in the media about this too. You have. These media, this Me Too stuff that one Time Magazine uh, Person of the Year somehow, and, mm -hmm. and you have this uh, you know double standard in the media depending on which side of the political aisle you're on, and it, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And when even when people stand up for themselves who are only just accused, when you see this being talked about on the news, it doesn't matter what the facts are. Even if these people were in the same state with each other, you're accused, mm -hmm. you're done. That's the way it's going, and that is, um, it seems like the ball's already rolling, and, and how's it, how is anybody going to stop it? 
Well, it, it, it really, it isn't until there there is a mechanism. Again, there needs to be a mechanism in place to ensure that a person that has an accusation levied against them, first of all, is afforded due process, as is their constitutional right. And again, we have two courts. We have the the judicial court, which extends due process, and we have the court of public opinion, which is far more powerful that neither recognizes nor extends due process to any individual except for those who are ordained worthy of it. Remember, there are certain people, especially on the Democrat side, well, let's not rush to judgment now. You know, they're a good person. John Conyers is a perfect example of that. Well, we can't rush to judgment. Well, you know, if, if you're going to do it for one side of the aisle, it has to be done for the same, for the opposite side of the aisle. But the problem here is that you, you don't you, you don't overcome those types. Once that allegation is made, once that accusation is levied at another person, that is a scarlet letter when it comes to sex crimes that sticks with that person for the rest of their life, even if it's determined that there was no culpability in a judicial court. The court of public opinion has already convicted and has already sentenced. And that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, what is, what's going to happen when they do roll this back around to Trump, when they uh, do what, what my dad said and, and find new accusers, whether they're people who are actually acquaintances with them or the, they are, you know, people who are paid to do this. There, I mean, we already see the, the Democratic Congresswomen, the Democratic women senators have already branded together and, and are calling for resignations. And I read the Tavis Smiley thing today. I read the whole article. I read what his response were. What his response was, and he made some great points in there, and, and we've seen other people uh, deny it. Uh, there was, I think, Jeremy Piven out of the Hollywood made, but he still lost his TV show. So mm-hmm. it, it's just craziness, and it is, uh, you know, I, I don't see a, a way, a way out of this until, you know, I mean, just just imagine when you when you see these media people, uh, one accusation, the people who who defend these resignations, who defend the public opinion making the decisions. Uh, like Chris Cuomo. If I called mm-hmm. CNN right now and, and dropped an anonymous tip that he sexually assaulted me, are they, is he going to lose his job? Is he going to advocate, you know, him, him resigning? It, it's craziness. Until we can differentiate between what is fact and fiction and what is, what is true and what is provable and what is not provable, well, we're not going to well, go well, anywhere no, meaningful I, here. You know, I mean, look at what happened with the Duke Lacrosse case. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened to Rolling Stone magazine. Look at what happened to the prosecutor, Mike Mifong. You know, he was, he was disbarred. There were, there were criminal charges that were pressed against the accusers. Uh, you know, and, and that's, and, and that's what needs to, and, and, and obviously not in every case, because I'm sure that there's, some of these would pass the sniff test. But the thing is, is that to, to permit an anonymous accusation to have that kind of devastating effect on a person's life is dangerous. And again, here's, here's the thing. We've all, as men, and I, and I think this is a larger, this is also a larger male, uh, war on masculinity as well, too, because don't, don't forget about what you, you have being perpetrated and taught in the, in, in liberal academic institutions, which is this notion of toxic masculinity. If you act on your preordained biological urges, then somehow, someway, you're toxically masculine. You're behaving in a way that is not acceptable in an airfingers quote, proper society. Well, I, I hate to break it to liberal academics, but as a man, I am wired to seek out an attractive female for the purposes of procreation. And that is as basic 
in me as my desire for food, my desire for air, my desire for shelter and security. It is one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. In fact, it's one of the base rungs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But today, if you permit yourself to actually act on any of your preordained biological urges, somehow, someway, you're acting in a criminal fashion. Sooner or later, it's... it's, it's, Okay. And look at what is... uh, There was a poll done recently where uh, I think it was millennials. 60% or some millennials said that asking a woman out to for drinks or, or to go out on a date qualifies as sexual harassment. And, and uh, from last what I've seen, Congressman Trent Franks, he resigned. And the only thing I understand is that uh, he talked to other staffers about the possibility of being a surrogate carrier for him and his wife, which uh, mm-hmm. hopefully there's more there. But who determines what is and is not sexual harassment? The court of public opinion. That's what. That's what. And the, the accuser. You know, I had an etiquette expert on, on my show this morning, and we were talking about uh, holiday party and, and, and family get-together etiquette. One of the first questions that I asked her was, you know, if, if you are invited to go to your company party or your corporate uh, holiday party, would you even want to go in today's climate? God forbid you're seen with a drink in your hand, and you make a comment to a coworker like, gee, that's a nice dress you're wearing. It's not what you said. It's what the context that that comment is placed in by the person who receives the comment. And now if they're offended by it, if they're butthurt by it, if they feel as though somehow there was an ulterior motive in you uttering that statement, well, are you going to lose your job? Are you going to lose your livelihood? Are they going to be filing criminal complaints against you? I mean, again, where does this end? It's a good, yeah. good point. You know, I, I often think back of, I don't know, um, I, I remember the Wilbur, Wilbur Mills Fannie Fox scandal back in 1974. Um, it was, I, I don't remember the month, but it was back in 1974, Congressman Wilbur Mills and uh, Fannie Fox. Washington Fountain. I, I'm, Keith, I'm not even sure if, if uh, that rings a bell to you, but you know that was. I was uh, I was nine months old, so no. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to make you feel old, but uh, yeah, no, no yeah, old. it's yeah, okay, it's wow, yeah, I feel old now, but 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 you know, it, it, it was the reason I bring that up is because man, times have really changed over the, over the last forty years, and it's just not for the better either, but. Well, you know, and, and again, what I what I had mentioned earlier is that this is a this is a whether it's an intended or an unintended consequence, this is a consequence of a social move, a social metamorphosis that we're undergoing. I think one of the first times that, that I was on your show, we talked about what I like to call the Homer Simpson effect. Think about television shows in the nineteen fifties. The father, the man, the husband, was viewed as the provider. He was the bedrock of his family. He was a pillar in his community. The man had integrity. He had honor. There were lessons that were taught as a result of that man being in the family. And it was a nuclear family. The father was always respected because father knew best. What is the father portrayed as? Think of the media today. Think of television commercials. Think of sitcoms. How is the American male presented today, specifically the American father presented today? He's an overweight, inept buffoon 
who can't get out of his own way, who needs the woman to come in and clean up all of his messes. She's smart. She's the seat of common sense and rational thinking in the family. He's just out doing whatever he's doing, breaking things, making messes, and she comes in, cleans it up, and saves the day. The man is being ridiculed. The role of the American man is being ridiculed. Now, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday whose opinions I respect greatly, and I was talking to him about this, and he said, but you're forgetting one thing, and that's the bridge. And he said, you know, remember Mad Men, the TV show Mad Men, which portrayed an advertising agency in the 1960s. So that was right around the time that women were joining the workforce. You had the, the feminist movement, the women's lib movement. Women were being told they could do whatever they wanted to do and that, um, you know, they could, they could have everything that men wanted or men could have. And so that's where you started to see the guy sleeping with the secretary. She's sleeping with her boss. And that's really where, when you start to look at the feminist movement and the women's lib movement, that's really what started to empower this. And the shift went from the man being the, the, the patriarch of the family, the strong pillar of integrity and honor and reason and respect and loyalty to what we have today. And now, you know, I find it awfully amazing that liberals sit here and, and excoriate all of this sexual impropriety and sexual immorality. Yet I don't hear a single liberal talking about when Two and a Half Men was the number one show on television where an HIV-ridden poonhound named Charlie Sheen now plays a character on television that's a poonhound. And his sexual exploits to a laugh track. Oh, this is acceptable. This is hysterical. This is funny. This is hilarious. Hashtag winning. You don't find liberal progressives excoriating any of that. See, it's okay when they're responsible for putting it out. It's okay when they're writing it. They're producing it. They're making money off of it. But it also establishes the framework by which their quasi-morality is used to attack other people if, God forbid, they find themselves in a situation that resembles the fiction that they've generated. Man, you nailed it. You nailed it. That's exactly right. All of this immorality, all of this sexual impropriety, you never, ever, ever... See, look, see, if, if, if I produce a movie, you know, it's the, the hypocrisy, the, the example that I use today, if I use the N-word on my show, it would be the end of my radio career, I, or at least for the station that I work for right now. Because as a white person, that's not acceptable for me to use that word. But if I'm Quentin Tarantino, oh, well, I get a pass because this is artistic. This is an expression of my First Amendment rights and who I am. This is artistry. This is poetry in motion. So how come it's okay for one person to lose their job, lose their livelihood because of immorality, yet in another instance, well, it's celebrated. This is wonderful. This is great. Look at this. we got to give this guy awards and pay him more money for every additional one of these instances of filth and garbage that he's cranking out and polluting our society with. But that's okay. Yeah, again, you, you but we can't talk about again. that. Exactly. <laughs> Keith, I, I want to make sure people know where and how to listen to your show, of course. Uh, Keith on the air, Keith Hansen Show, Keith the uh, uh, Tell people, and of course, follow Keith on Twitter at Real Keith Hansen. But uh, tell people how to listen because your, your show is absolutely necessary for the sanity we need today. 
Well, I do uh, I do a three-hour show from 6 to 9. It's First Look, which is more or less Vermont and, and uh, New Hampshire news and happenings and things like that. Uh, and then the Keith Hansen Show, which is uh, which starts at 9 o'clock Eastern time, uh, which is just unbridled opinion, political analysis, and commentary. Uh, and they can stream that online at WNTK.com. That's WNTK.com. And, of course, they can follow me on Twitter, at RealKeithHanson, um, and uh, on Facebook at um, Keith on the Air, Facebook.com slash Keith on the Air. Perfect. And uh, I'm going to tell you, you, folks, and we have a lot of listeners up in, in up in New England, uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, so uh, please tune in to Keith Hanson, his radio show. My goodness, Keith, you, you, just, you just really blew it out of the water. Thank you so very much to adding... Uh, such a uh, intricate dimension to uh, to our show tonight. Thank you so very much, man. Yeah, and who knows where this, this will go before the next time we talk to you. Yeah, and it's a pleasure having you, Keith. And stay in Anytime, touch, Anytime, guys. Anytime. Thank you again. God bless. Have a great night. Yeah. We will be right back after these short messages with Steve Quayle and Derek Gilbert. But think about what, what we just talked about and where, I mean, each day the story is morphing into something bigger and bigger. And where will we be one week, one month from today? It's, uh, it's worrisome. We'll be right back. of the Hagman Report. So proud to be bringing you Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com, and Derek Gilbert. Uh, it's going to be just a dynamic show tonight. I just can't wait to uh, get into the subject matter. Just, I'll, I'll tell you something. Um, Steve Quayle, ahead of his time. Derek Gilbert, ahead of his time. It's, it's going to be incredible. So uh, line up, hang with us. It's it's just going to be great. Before we get to Steve Quayle and Derek Gilbert, have you finished your have you finished your Christmas shopping? Have you started your Christmas shopping? You know, are you struggling to find the perfect gift for someone who has it all? Let me give you some help, guys. Especially, let me give you some help. OmahaSteaks.com. You know, when I took care, I, I took care of a number of people who I had to buy for at OmahaSteaks.com, and I was extremely pleased at just the ease of the use of the website, the fact that there were recommendations made to me, um, wine pairings, plus they've got over 500 gourmet gift ideas. But here is the special deal for Hagman Report listeners. Go to omahasteaks.com and type in HH in the search bar, and you'll get my family gift pack when you type in HH in the search bar. Now listen to me. Listen to what you're going to get with this offer. Two filet mignons, two top sirloin uh, steaks, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four steak burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, an Omaha steak seasoning packet, which just brings out the flavor. It's amazing stuff. And four kielbasa sausages. Now, if you order now and use HH in the search bar, you'll get four additional kielbasa sausages, all for forty nine ninety nine, under fifty dollars. 
if you would buy this a la carte, it would be well over $200. This is an amazing offer from OmahaSteaks.com. While you're there ordering for that special someone, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's, well, whoever you might consider hard to buy for. I mean, think about it. A click of a mouse, you're done. OmahaSteaks.com, HH in the search bar. While you're there, get get a pack for yourself. I guarantee you, you're gonna love it. And can you just can you just smell the aroma of the steak? Oh, over charcoal! My goodness! And, and the other night, uh, we had the uh, caramel apple tartlets at the Hagman household. Invited Joe, John, and Eric. And let me tell you, do not get in the way between them. Uh, do not get between them and the apple tartlets, Joe. I think. Uh, I think oh, they're the, they're the great on on uh, Eric. I'm, I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, if there's a if there's only two left and there's the three of us, you better watch out. That's right. OmahaSteaks.com. HH in the search bar. My family gift pack under fifty dollars. You, you can't beat the price, and you cannot beat certainly can't beat the quality of Omaha Steaks. But so much going on, and of course, um, you, did you know, see uh, Disney acquired Fox yeah, today. I, did. I saw that. They they did not acquire Fox Sports or Fox News, right? But the the other the rest of the Fox Empire has been acquired by Disney in a fifty plus billion dollar stock for company trade to Rupert Murdoch. I, I thought of Peter Barry Chaka when when I saw that article. I I you know again he's and John with his Hollywood experience explained a lot of things to me about how uh, Fox worked versus how Disney worked in in Hollywood and. The, the differences between the companies, and it sounded like Fox would have been a much better company to work for than Disney as they underpay their employees, and, and there's a whole bunch of different things that they do that John had pointed out. But what does this mean for the programming and, and everything else that's involved? We will, I'm sure, see sooner rather than later, but um, it's interesting how Disney continues to buy up everything in Hollywood. Amazing. The Simpsons predicted it in 1998, apparently. That's on Dredge. There's a lot of connections. I, I, I saw that predicting things, and yeah, I, I saw that, and I, th- I think I think a lot of this is really planned out far in advance and, and programmed. And I think we're witnessing today a, a lot of the things that were set in motion twenty, thirty, forty years ago, even fifty or a hundred years ago. I think we're seeing things come to fruition today, and that's why I think going back to Donald Trump viewed as a threat and impediment because, of course, he, he would not. Or he'd be standing in the way of, of many of the, well, look at the merger that, um, they disallowed. But anyway, so this, this and more, of course, um, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to see this. I'm, I'm, I'm yes, looking, at, I'm looking at you. And you know, at, I'm gonna, I want to, John just sent me a text message. I'm going to okay. tell the audience about something that's been going on here in the studio because it's pretty funny. While we wait for Steve and Derek, we, Oh, they're ready? Oh. Okay. Well, let's bring them on. Yeah, let, let's do that. Steve Quill from SteveQuill.com. Steve, come on board. Well, thank you so much. What a pleasure tonight, Doug and Joe and everyone at Hagman and Hagman. But the listening audience is going to get a trip down memory lane that will springboard you into the future because I'm going to be interviewing Derek Gilbert, uh, one of the co-authors of The Day the Earth Stands Still. Now, what's interesting is, is the title is not only catchy, but it reflects back on a 1951, which was considered an A-list science fiction uh, movie with Michael Rennie called The Day the Earth Stood Still. And so uh, past tense, present. And what was interesting, Doug, in 1951, that was one of the first, if you will, alien genre sci-fi movies that was using a 
robot that was half a, I would call it a human, a humbot, a human robot, and Gort in the 2008 redo of that stood, now listen to this, and again, Hollywood's telegraphing everything, uh, genetically organized robot technology, G-O-R-T, which was the name of the original robot in 1951, and then defined in the 2008 version. So we're going to talk about some pretty interesting things, and why do the Podesta WikiLeaks uh, mention so much about disclosure, and Hillary Clinton's infamous statement about aliens, she probably wants to introduce the planet to all of her people, uh, and so let's go directly, if we could, let's go to Derek. Hi, Derek, thank you for coming on tonight. That's my honor, Steve, Doug, Jill, my, my honor to be here. Hey, Derek. So, hey, Derek. Let's talk about WikiLeaks. Everybody puts it in the political, you know, arena, and obviously all of the pedophile uh, issues. But let's talk about again disclosure. We've heard it so many times from presidents who, from Kennedy, they get killed, murdered, assassinated, and you know everybody who talks about it seems to go silent after a certain point. So, share, you know, in writing, the day the Earth stands still. Explain what the title means. Obviously, it's, it should be self-evident, but go ahead and why you chose that title, and then just go where you want to go with the WikiLeaks and follow. Well, Steve, you're right. It, it does call back to the 1951 movie with Michael Rennie uh, as uh, Klaatu, the, the alien who lands with Gort, his, uh, his robot assistant, um, and shows how the Earth responds and reacts to the uh, appearance of an extraterrestrial intelligence. That's a topic that seems to come up about every four years. As true believers in the um, existence of extraterrestrials, uh, expect that every new uh, either incoming presidential administration or outgoing presidential administration will finally uh, open the books and officially disclose the existence of uh, extraterrestrial life, extraterrestrial intelligence in particular, that the government will finally admit the United States government will finally admit that it's known all along about these uh, uh, visitors that have been uh, paying call on the world since at least 1947. Some believe it's much, much uh, earlier than that. The first visits uh, by uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. We, go, we in the book uh, dig into what was disclosed in the WikiLeaks disclosures. These, these were the uh, emails that were uh, sent to WikiLeaks by somebody, of course the Democrats still claim that it was uh, the Russian government or hackers connected to the Russian government, uh, when in fact it's been shown that it was most likely somebody with a thumb drive inside Democratic National Committee headquarters. Um, these uh, emails included a lot of email, or uh, well in the case of the uh, John Podesta emails, in fact it was uh, Podesta himself who clicked uh, a link on a uh, spam email uh, that was, uh, and that gave up his, uh, his password um, to his, uh, to his Gmail account. Um, he should have known better. He's a smart guy. Uh, anyway, the, uh, in these emails, it was revealed that um, the former astronaut, the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who passed away, um, I believe, February of last year, was sending email on a fairly regular basis to John Podesta, who at the time was the campaign chairperson for Hillary Clinton uh, during the 2016 presidential campaign, trying to find a... Um, a, a connection, a, a way to get a meeting through Podesta with then-President Barack Obama. Why? Because 
Dr. Mitchell wanted to meet with the president to share with him what he thought he knew about the existence of extraterrestrials um, and their desire and, and the desire of these uh, ETs to share with humanity uh, such benefits, such gifts as uh, zero point energy and, and other such things. Um, uh, Josh handled Josh Peck, my co-author on, on the book, The Day the Earth Stands Still, handled much of this section of the book. And he did a really good job, very detailed, in, in spelling out exactly uh, what was shared between uh, Mitchell and Podesta. Now, to be fair to Mr. Podesta, there's no indication that Podesta responded, and we certainly don't have any record of any meeting that took place between um, Edgar Mitchell and any representative of the United States government. What is interesting, though, is that uh, you, you've got this, this strange connection between the sixth man... Who, you know, to walk on the moon, the co-founder of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which was uh, prominently featured in Dan Brown's novel, uh, The Lost Symbol, um, and high-ranking members of the Washington political elite, John Podesta, and through him and his brother Tony Podesta, members of this uh, sort of occult milieu around the, uh, the Clinton campaign and around, the uh, again, the Washington, uh, Washington power structure. Um, Mitchell and his colleague, a, a woman named Terry Mansfield, Terry Donovan Mansfield, uh, made repeated contact via email with John Podesta trying to set up uh, a meeting to discuss what they call disclosure. And again, this is the idea that the government knows something that it hasn't shared with the American public or with the world at large about the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, and they tried repeatedly uh, over a course of months to try to set up this kind of a meeting. They they thought they believed they thought they knew about the existence of extraterrestrials uh, of different types, and, and they went into uh, some detail about these uh, these ETs, um, specifically uh, that these uh, extraterrestrials are from a contiguous universe rather than from another planet. This is important because it shows that the true believers in the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence are beginning to realize that the science uh, just isn't there to support the idea that any living entity can travel the distances between stars. Um, it requires too much energy uh, to move at the rate of speed one would need to uh, move to cross the distance between the stars means uh, even impacts with things, uh, with objects, the, uh, the, the mass of a raisin would result in an explosion many times that of the uh, the Hiroshima nuclear bomb, um, and and of course the amount of time it would take to cross would would make it uh, nearly impossible for life as we know it to make such a journey. Um, science fiction has sold us on the idea of warp drive and wormholes, and so far so far these things are, to the best of our knowledge, violations of uh, the natural laws of, of the universe, the violations of laws of physics. They're speculation at best. There is nothing that suggests that any such technology, the technology to create stable wormholes for travel inter between interstellar, uh, across interstellar space actually exists. Hey, Derek, so the, the uh, people Derek, who are pushing the you. idea that the government knows yeah. something are recognizing that these entities that, and, and this, is a, this is a key point, Josh and I in the book do not deny that we're being visited by something. It's just not what the UFO community thinks. Uh, they're not 
visitors from the stars. They are not uh, extraterrestrials. They are extra-dimensional. And that is a... Um, uh, I, I think an acknowledgement that we were seeing in these WikiLeaks that these uh, ETs, according to the emails, that uh, when you read and decipher what was being shared between Dr. Mitchell and uh, John Podesta, is that these ETs are from a contiguous universe, extra-dimensional, outside of our dimension rather than outside of our solar system. Um, that these uh, ETs, as far as Dr. Mitchell believed, were nonviolent. Uh, that they are obedient, but of course the question is to what authority. Uh, and they are different from what they called celestials. So uh, there are differences between these entities uh, according to what these uh, true believers uh, were sharing with Dr. Mitchell. Um, th those are the main takeaways from the WikiLeaks, that there are people out there who are very intelligent, highly educated, um, who believe in the existence of extra-dimensional entities that want to... <laughs> to borrow a phrase from another uh, old science fiction program, to serve man. Of course, the problem, as we point out in the book, is that that just might be the title of their cookbook, uh, a reference to a Damon Knight short story that was uh, turned into a Twilight Zone episode. Um, we show in the book that uh, the, the belief in the, uh, these ex extraterrestrials is not supported by any known physical evidence. In other words, uh, while we believe that the Earth is being visited by entities, uh, we don't believe, we, and we have yet to see any credible evidence that these entities are actually from another star system. Um, as history progressed through the 20th century, um, the, the hey, planet John, of... There yes, are, sir. Let, let, me, let me ask you something now, and, and please, it's not my contention or intention to be contentious, but when you guys wrote this, and I haven't read it, I've read the summary and stuff, but did, would, you know, when you're dealing with angels, and let's just take fallen angels, okay, I'll let you mm -hmm. come back, and the fallen angels are basically able to uh, take on physical form, and, and even the, quote, all of the different uh, legends of myths and everything are always dealing with that, then I mean, do you make reference to that in your book? Because I would tend to say, you, you would, and you guys basically say, based on current knowledge, do you believe in any way, shape, or form, I, this is my question, okay, that you are being told or you are aware of the world of black physics? Black physics means that which is initiated that may have been, if you will, uh, given to mankind initially to destroy them by the fallen angels, their progeny, the Rephaim, the giants. So, I mean, how do you, because again, it, uh, you know, your case is basically this, that all, all aliens are extra dimensionals or multi, uh, multi-dimensional beings, okay? But right. then how do you account, how do you and Josh, and, and again, I just want to know this for my own sake, how do you account then for the physical manifestation of entities that are able to take on corporeality, and even though they're a spirit entity, because the Bible says even Satan himself can manifest as an angel of light. Again, that's not to be contentious, but how do you guys look at yeah. that in your book? Yeah, no, actually, that's not contentious at all, Steve, uh, because we see biblical evidence for the... Uh, ability of spirit beings, angels, to take on corporeal form. Uh, Abraham, okay. for example, was visited by sure. angels who sat down and had a meal with him. Um, the angels who visited Lot uh, in, in Sodom 
uh, got very physical with those who tried to forcibly break down the door to get at them uh, for uh, sexual purposes. So uh, there, there's no, I, I don't think there's any contradiction with Scripture, which we hold is the only uh, inerrant source of truth uh, that, that we possess. So um, we don't have a problem with these extra-dimensional entities manifesting in corporeal form in our plane of existence because we see angels doing that in the Bible. Um, uh, demonic spirits, say the uh, which we believe, based on the uh, Second Temple literature, the Book of Enoch and other Second Temple writings, uh, and even the Greeks believed this uh, in, in their religion, were the spirits of the men of renown, the Nephilim, the giants who perished in the flood. Uh, those demonic spirits do not take corporeal form. They have to inhabit a, a physical body, a human host, if you will, uh, in order to um, perform physical acts uh, in human form here on the planet. So these, these entities that present themselves as uh, you know, Nordics or, or what have you uh, may well be fallen angels, perhaps even the Watcher class of angel. Um, we don't have a problem with uh, agreeing with, with those contactees who say that they have had physical encounters with beings who are not human. Because, again, that is biblical. We see that happen uh, in, in Scripture. Um, what we what we dispute are the uh, the accounts of the contactees who are convinced that these entities are from, say, Zeta Reticuli. Um, that these, uh, we, we believe that uh, the work of uh, researchers like, uh, say, Dr. John Mack, uh, David Jacobs, uh, researchers like uh, Joe Jordan, um, Guy Malone, who have found that these, uh, the, the experiences of people who, who believe that they've been abducted um, show multiple points of correlation. And I think Dr. Max research, and he's the late uh, psychologist from Harvard University, and not a Christian, by the way, so it's not like he has a dog in this, um, uh, in this hunt when it comes to religion. Uh, Dr. Mack found, uh, I believe it was three dozen points of correlation between those who claimed to have been abducted and those who were victims of satanic ritual abuse. Now, that's statistically significant, um, and that's an important bit of information, but it's not one you will hear from people who believe that they're hearing from, uh, you know, the Ashtar Command or... Oh, uh, sure, and, know, and, and, and I think that's critical that people understand, because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Absolutely. His whole thing is, to, is the doctrine of demons, and see, this is, this is why you know, and, and yeah, you've been gracious to interview me uh, a number of times. I'm interviewing you, I think, for the third time, maybe the fourth time, but in, and I, I'm dealing with this today, but again, the Nephilim it's only used two times in the Old Testament, as you know. Genesis right. 6 and Numbers 13, 32, 33. Now, why this is important, Doug, it, it's a critical this. People confuse demons with fallen angels. There are two separate classes. And, and you know this, I guess I'm the odd man out, because I hear everything's a Nephilim, and that's not true. You know, and, and I understand it's translated giants, but then we get into the Rephaim 33 times. Now, why is this critical? Because now we're talking about, too, even in the uh, Gort, the representation of Gort, uh, genetically, 
you know, organized robotic technology, that's where everything's headed now. So if it's consistent that uh, these spiritual entities can manifest in the physical realm, then obviously they can manifest in anything that is uh, human-related if it's open to it. So I'm just saying this, you know, Ray Kurzweil wrote uh, Spiritual Machines, you know, but now maybe the next book somebody's got to take on is Demon-Possessed Machines Beyond Christine. And why this is critical is this. Every day, and I don't know how you deal with it because, you know, in essence, I guess when I say I'm odd man out, again, this isn't to be contentious, but I think there's a disservice being done to people when the word Nephilim is substituted for demon and vice versa. They are not the same thing. You quoted extra biblical text. It doesn't matter if it's a book of Giants, book of Enoch. That is not what that teaches, you know, or even declares. So, you know, here's the thing. I believe that the confusion is for a purpose to hide, mask, or uh, camouflage the presence of fallen angels who, you know, one-third of heaven's host of angels fell with uh, Lucifer who became Satan. Now we're, we're dealing with that. So the Perception is going to be so great, and that will just—I'll just leave that there. So we have—we have this uh, point right now, where even whether it's CERN or any of the, you know, other, everybody's trying to find "quote unquote" the God particle. I think they'd be smarter finding the God who created the particles and repenting. <laughs> That's me. But the point being is, is that, you know, this is why terms mean everything, because you know you've heard it. Everything's a Nephilim. Everything's a Nephilim. Goliath was not a Nephilim. Goliath was a Rephaim. And so I think it's important that people understand that after Numbers 13, 32, and 33, everything is referred to a Rephaim, or the Rapha, the dead, or a derivation of the dead, even the Psalms. So the dead rise to praise you know. The point is, is that it, it's, I think it's, I just want to establish that so when we're using terms tonight that people understand. And again, this isn't to be contentious, but I think, Doug, you and I went round and round on this issue, you know, until I I finally sent you the thing uh, that I wrote. So, Derek, what I'm just saying simply is this, is that the people that do not believe in God or, or his heavenly host and that that third of the angels fell, they automatically accept the fact that there are extraterrestrials, you know, interplanetary things, and obviously the ancient Hebrews thought that the stars were the abode of the angels. So there's mm-hmm. no contention there. Continue. No, I, I agree, and I, and I think we can set aside the, uh, and, and I will agree that uh, you know the, the Bible is not clear on the origin of the Nephilim. It's not mentioned in the Bible. Uh, presumably God didn't think it was, uh, it was that uh, important for us to know. Uh, what, what we do know is that uh, you're right, angels can take corporeal form, and that uh, there, there is a difference between fallen angels and the demonic realm and, and demons themselves. Whatever their origin, uh, they are not physical beings, uh, whereas fallen angels are, and fallen angels, as we're taught in the New Testament, can present themselves as an angel of light. And I think that's where the um, the, the true believers in the UFO movement are are, uh, are, are being deceived. Uh, and, and I say this with with you know, all due respect, I, I'm not trying to demonize anyone, pardon the pun, um, because I think many who are in the UFO phenomenon are, are looking for answers to questions that they aren't getting answered in their in their churches. And and so they are turning to those who are more than happy to provide an answer, which of course the, the New Age community, and uh, sadly there's a uh, there, there's a real overlap between the New Agers and, and the uh, UFO uh Community. In fact, some of the real serious UFO researchers uh, this past year have uh, 
uh, expressed some real dissatisfaction with the direction of MUFON, especially at the, the upper level, with MUFON embracing um, what is clearly uh, some metaphysical beliefs uh, instead of pursuing the evidence where the evidence leads. Um, one thing that you never hear questioned in the UFO community when contactees report messages that they claim to have received from extraterrestrials is how do you know they're telling you the truth? How do you, and as I uh, as I started to to mention earlier, as the uh, 20th century progressed, the planet of origin of these entities changed because science as what we understood about the planets in our solar system, as knowledge of our solar system increased, and we realized there's nothing that we know of that could live in the, uh, on the planet Venus, which has been described as a searing hot calm, um, or, or, or Mars, or Jupiter, or Saturn. You know, the planet of origin of these extraterrestrial entities uh, has moved farther and farther away, always to some place where we can't verify uh, the, uh, the conditions for life on those planets. Um, well, let's deal with Mars. You know, that's my favorite thing, and I'll just say this. Uh, for all the years there was no water on Mars, for all the years there is no life on Mars, for all the years there was no uh, hydrological events taking place on Mars, that whole thing has changed now. And, you know, obviously I believe in catastrophism. I think you do, too. And the, the idea is simply this. If the planets and or the uh, fallen angels, and the question is, when the fallen angels rebelled against God, God, was their judgment based on they had to use now technology versus just being able to come in and out of dimensions and take on physicality? And if, if that's the case, why are all the planets or all of the different moons of the different planets named for Greek gods, etc.? All I'm trying to say is this, is that the idea simply remains. It's just kind of like, you know, the argument with uh, the Anunnaki, okay? And I said, the Anunnaki to me sounds too much like uh, Anu and his nookie. You mean to tell me that advanced civilizations have to come to Earth for a good time? Now, I'm trying to be tacky, but, you know, uh, that's where some of those really crummy, rotten tomato science fiction uh, movies originated from. But, but believe it or not, as corny as they were, that's what they were teaching. So, you know, to get back on this, you know, basically, when you say, the, you know, the different, you're talking about the identity of otherworldly beings pulling strings from the shadows, you know, how much of your book do you deal with? And I, again, I'm asking because I think this is interesting. By the way, I think your title is spectacular, okay? Oh, well, thank you. Appreciate that. And I, and I mean because, again, if anybody hasn't seen the original 1951 movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, you must see it. But then going on, you know, the idea simply is this, is that when Jesus said that, you know, there's nothing that's been hidden that isn't going to be revealed, I mean, these guys are stripped of their ability to mask or to, you know, cloak or whatever pretty soon, and, and the, the revelation, the angel says that. So, I mean, in, in your whole uh, presentation, okay, uh, you're saying that, the people, for instance, do you want to jump in? Christianity can be compatible, genuine extraterrestrials. Uh, of course, the thing is, is that if there are no genuine extraterrestrials, then the question's answer is no, they can't, because there's something other than what they make themselves out to be. You want to address that? Yeah, um, and the reason, you know, just to, just to lay a little groundwork here, the reason we're addressing this topic in the first place, Steve, and I, and I know you agree with this, is that this is an alternate religion for the 21st century. Uh, it is a uh, it, it is a religion that people are turning to because, again, they're, they're not getting answers in their churches. 
uh, and they perceive incorrectly that the UFO phenomenon and the existence of extraterrestrials, you know, the ancient astronauts, the ancient aliens, can help us understand the three big questions that have that, that have nagged at humanity since the beginning of time. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And what happens to us when we die? Now, of course, the Bible has those answers. But if people come to a pastor and ask, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what, what does the Bible have to say about the existence of life elsewhere in the universe? Well, most pastors haven't studied it. They don't have time to study it. They've got their hands full tending to the, you know, basic day-to-day needs of the flock. I get that. We understand that. But sadly... Again, the New Age and the UFO communities are more than happy to offer answers, and that's why when we look at recent polls, we find that 77% of Americans believe there's evidence that Earth is being visited by E.T. 36% believe, are absolutely convinced that UFOs exist and that Earth is being visited. But when you look at what Christians believe, what Americans believe about the God of the Bible, only 10% of Americans have a biblical Worldview. Now, that is as defined by the Barna Group uh, research company that surveys Christians. Um, what is a biblical worldview? Essentially, it means holding six very basic views about God as he's defined in the Bible, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he was born of a virgin, that Satan is a literal entity and not a concept, you know, that kind of thing. Christianity right. 101. So, in other words, Americans are more than three times more likely to believe in E.T. than in the God of the Bible. That's why we address this topic in the first place. Now... Do, do we get into um, the, the uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm going to have to ask you to restate your question, Steve, because I went back and, and, to, and to lay the groundwork in, and I didn't make a note of your, your question. So okay, no, 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 you're, you're actually doing it, because now we've got the world's, what, second largest religion, and goes into what, the question is whether Christianity can, can be oh, compatible right, right. with genuine extraterrestrials, and the thing is, is that if there are no uh, genuine extraterrestrials, then those who want Christianity to be absorbed by the New Age version, or what I would call the uh, sublimation of a historic, biblical, Bible-believing Christians, they're going to have to talk a really good line. So now they've got the ultimate, uh, uh, what I call popesman, the spokesman, you know, for the whole ET issue. Obviously, Tom Horn and and uh, Skywatch has, you know, uh, done vast, vast presentations on it. So the whole world is being primed for it. So in essence, you know, uh, you can address that, or you, I guess yeah. we both are addressing it. But Christianity can be compatible with genuine extraterrestrials. And the point is, is that you answer that, okay? Because I think I gave it away. I'm not trying to be well, a spoiler. I'm just saying that, you know, it's important. Well, no, no, no worries. Um, uh, always enjoy conversations with you, Steve. It's always an education, so no worries at all. Uh, the um, I, Now, again, we don't believe that there's evidence that Earth has, has been visited by authentic, genuine extraterrestrials. We believe that so far... Everything that's been reported as an ET contact has, in fact, been an extra-dimensional contact. Fallen angel, uh, demon perhaps, but not an authentic extraterrestrial. Now, could Christianity accept uh, a legitimate ET landing on the White House lawn? Um, theoretically, and I say that because personally I don't think there's anything out there. I think the universe, yes, was created, in fact, specifically for the human race. But if an actual E.T. were to land on the White House lawn, here, here's the key thing that Christians need to keep in mind. When God created man in his image, 
All right, this is a limitation of the English language. We think image means picture, what he looks like. You know, that God must have created mankind to look kind of like God. So God is a biped about six feet tall with, uh, you know, ten fingers and ten toes. No, that's not what that means. In the Hebrew, what it actually means is we are God's moral agents on earth. We are his representatives on earth. We are to serve as his agents, uh, having dominion over the animals, the creation on which he placed us. And that status is in is is a part of us. You know, that is part of our job description as humans, regardless of our age, our education level, our capabilities, our limitations. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're male, female, if you're a child, an adult. You are created in God's image, as his imager, if you will, his moral agent, his representative on earth. That is a status that does not change if you, if you, if you suffer a, a severe head injury that limits your cognitive ability, that does not change, that you are still created in his image. And if, if an extraterrestrial from Zeta Reticuli lands on the White House lawn, your status as one of God's imagers, one of his creation, being created in his image, does not change. Just, you know, it, it, so that is the key element there. Could Christian theology accept and again, this is a hypothetical. Could it? Because again, I personally don't believe that there are ETs out there in the universe. I believe that God. I mean, that's a big enough question. God probably would have addressed it in Scripture uh, for us. I could be wrong about that. This is not a theological hill I'll die on. But I will say this: as humans, we are all created in His image, and that does not change regardless of whether or not extraterrestrials exist somewhere else out there in the universe. I think that's a valid point, because God did give men dominion, and obviously Jesus didn't die for Zeta Reticulans, okay? That's, that's and correct. And he didn't die for the Pleiadians, and so the the fascinating thing, though, is, is that in order to deceive, you've got to get people to believe, and they're trying to basically, isn't it interesting, I would call it the inverse God-haters rule. Those who hate the God of the universe, those who create, he who speaks the world into existence, by the way, he doesn't need to do it in a laboratory and borrow somebody else's stuff, you know. But that everything <laughs> is substitutionary, you know, to that. So the attack on God, is, isn't it interesting? It's inversely proportional now. More people believe it used to be that the alien uh, believers would be less than the biblical Christians. Now biblical Christianity, because, Derek, obviously it isn't dealing with these issues. That's why you do what you do. I do what I do. We all do what we do to try and show people truth history so they're not deceived and sucked into revisionist history. But unfortunately, you know, even in this this uh, area of arena, there's everybody's got their opinions. And, and again, if you understand that the, if, uh, that the power brokers of the world control all the information of the world, and just as, you know, knowledge is power, then they're going to use that at a time of their choosing, which, you know, uh, so why don't we get to this? Because this is a really critical thing. And I won't interrupt you. You just say, and then if you want me to chime in, I'll chime in. 
why the world is prime for ET disclosure. Go ahead, because I think that's at the, at, you know, you know I used to try and get Tom to give the bottom line at the beginning and work backwards, but I think <laughs> you're already doing that, you know, you're giving it. So go ahead. Why is the world prime for ET disclosure? It's because it's, the, the world is prime for ET disclosure because the enemy, and the capital E enemy, the fallen angels who rebelled against their creator and set themselves up as gods back in the days of ancient Mesopotamians are wanting to take one last shot at toppling Yahweh, their creator, from his throne. This is Isaiah 14, you know, coming to pass. Uh, How art thou fallen, Lucifer, son of the dawn, wants to set up his throne above the stars of God and rule from the Mount of Assembly, his Mount of Assembly. Um, this is the return of the old gods. But because they don't want us to see them as gods, they want us to... It, it's, it's a way of repackaging the old lie from the garden, ye shall be as gods, with a science fiction veneer. If we can believe, if we can be, be convinced that the, uh, the gods of the ancient world were just astronauts, travelers from another world... Uh, entities, beings like us with better technology, then if we develop better technology, then we too can be as gods. In fact, this runs parallel with the transhumanist movement. The idea that if we just have better gizmos, better technology, we too can transcend the limits of our bi- biology and become as gods. Uh, that, I think, is why the world is being primed for ET disclosure. We've been convinced and, and this is something that we, we cover in the book, Stephen. This was something I didn't expect to find coming into the research for the book. A direct chain of, of evidence, if you will, a direct connection between theosophy, the uh, occult religion of Helena Blavatsky, and uh, the ancient aliens theory. And, and I'll, I'll spell it out here as, as briefly as I can, but it's... Um, you really have to go back like a couple of generations before Blavatsky to Emanuel Swedenborg, who was a, uh, a philosopher in the 18th century, claimed to be a Christian, but about the, well, about the time he was my age, when he hit his 50s, he, he suddenly believed he was hearing from uh, entities that he called angels living on other planets in the solar system. Um, Swedenborg, who still has some followers around the world today, uh, wrote a book in 1758 called Life on Other Planets. You can still buy copies of it from the Swedenborg Society today. Um, but he wasn't the first to marry this idea of religion with life on other planets. Of course, Joseph Smith, the uh, founder of the Church of Latter-day Saints, believed that there were many worlds out there, and that if uh, followers, uh, his followers, lived a righteous enough life that they too could become gods of their own planets. Um, then, of course, you get to Helena Blavatsky, founder of the Theosoph- uh, Theosophical Society in 1875. Her um, magnum opus, if you will, the uh, secret doctrine that she wrote in 1888, um, believed that mankind was evolving and that we were um, working toward becoming the, uh, uh, the, the, the the seventh root race. And I think we were all on root race number five. Um, she believed that the mankind had originated at this uh, lost continent called Lemuria, which is funny because that continent was uh, a theory put forward by a zoologist uh, around the time of the Civil War who noticed that you could find certain monkey fossils in India and on Madagascar uh, that were identical. 
you know, so he believed that there must be this lost land in between, somewhere buried beneath the Indian Ocean, that allowed monkeys to travel from Madagascar to India, therefore lemurs, Lemuria, that's where that whole concept came from. It's, of course, it's never been found. It doesn't exist, but Blavatsky made it a key part of her religion, and believe it or not, it's still being packaged and sold today. Move forward into the 20th century, the horror fiction author H.P. Lovecraft drew on theosophy for this idea that these old gods uh, had created the, uh, the these uh, cyclopean um, uh, structures around the world, these, these megalithic monuments that we can't figure out uh, how they were engineered and built, like, you know, Machu Picchu and the Great Pyramids and uh, uh, the the Great Temple at uh, Baalbek and places like that. Well, sure, Uh, or or, or Mesoamerica, the entire thing. But again, you know, um, we spent a a lot of time, a lot of money producing the True Legend series that answers that question because, look, here's the deal, Derek. You know this, any good researcher, you've got to get the earliest... Uh, information get, and then you've got to get confirmation, uh, and not just somebody re- recycling the previous guy's findings, but even even like Zealandia, okay? Lemuria came from the animal Lemur, you know, right, right. Lemurs. Yeah, but, but the Zealandia, uh, not to be confused with the movie Zoolander, but Zealandia is what New Zealand, now they're claiming that's a lost supercontinent, and so we've got the whole issue now of, and this is relevant of the history that we think we know is going to be completely, uh, I would say this, confronted by the the history that is. And so when and, and that's what you're doing in your book, you know, and again, the day the earth the the title, immediately when I heard you wrote that book, it's gonna cause ever I call it the great breath hold, okay? Because everybody at that point, you know, in essence when you when you kind of what is it called, catch your breath? Mm-hmm. Well, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to catch an equine because to some people they're gonna be just like the people in uh, Independence Day, the women up on the top of the hotel before it gets destroyed, saying, "I want to have your baby," and other right, people right. are gonna be going, you know. So, so I mean, the 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 if uh, this psychological uh, uh, overwhelmingness of this, and then uh, how do you guys? And I mean, again, this is an important question. I, I'm sorry, I don't follow, you know, necessarily. I'm not trying to confuse anybody, but. When you deal with the psychological ramifications of that, how do you and Josh see that playing out? Well, I, I think this is this is one of the key reasons we wanted to write the book, and we wanted to include the the, the, you know, the question we had addressed uh, previously, which is you know whether or not or how Christian theology could accept the existence of a uh, uh, of an actual extraterrestrial presence. Um, I. I I think most Christians are not prepared for this lie, and certainly the world. I mean, you, you can't. Uh, the world, through uh, science fiction, uh, which has been called by uh, some uh, televangelism for the ET gospel, uh, through science fiction and through, uh, well, the, the ancient aliens. Uh, uh, Evangelists like uh, you know the guys on the the History Channel who are what are their twelfth season now of the Ancient Alien Show, uh, which uh, one reviewer has called um, uh, j- just repackaged Theosophy. Um, the reason Americans are more likely to believe that we're being visited by ET than to believe that we were visited by God in the flesh is because of this 
massive propaganda campaign that we've been subjected to, especially since 1951, um, I don't think most Christians are prepared to handle it. Um, our, our friend L.A. Marzulli volunteered to go down to Stephenville, Texas, uh, some years ago when they had that uh, UFO flap and address churches down there about what it probably was and how we as Christians could process that information. And he couldn't get any pastors that would take him up on the uh, on his offer to basically go down there on his own dime and uh, and talk about what multiple witnesses say they saw. You know, in a craft that was not uh, what that they believed was not of this earth. Uh, we need to address that subject. Many of these crafts that people see are, in fact, of this earth, just secret government projects. But some of what they're seeing are not. Now. Why is it, uh, you know, how, how do we deal with those? Well, I think it's significant that the type of craft that people see, these mysterious unidentified flying objects, tend to reflect uh, objects or resemble objects that are relevant to the culture at the time. In other words, when Alexander the Great in the 4th century B.C. was seeing uh, an unidentified flying object that was described as a flying shield um, in the late 19th century when people saw flying craft they couldn't explain they looked like dirigibles hot air balloons when we got into the 1940s um, that's when we started seeing craft described as flying saucers but they weren't at first described as flying saucers in fact that uh, came from the 1947 sighting near Mount Rainier by Kenneth Arnold, who described the craft, the planes that he saw as looking like flying wings, kind of like the uh, uh, the flying wing from uh, the, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that German flying wing. Uh, but he described the craft as moving like a saucer skipped across the water, a saucer skipping across the water. And the media newspapers picked that up and described it as a flying saucer. And then suddenly people started seeing, oh, these things that looked like silvery dinner plates flying around in the air. The enemy will always feed us what they think we will fall for. It's why they keep throwing out this same lie, you know, that ye shall be as God. So if you just put a chip in your brain controlled by an artificial intelligence, you can be thousands or millions of times more intelligent. And if you believe in the return of these, uh, you know, representatives of the Great White Brotherhood, or listen to the wisdom of the, the masters of ascended wisdom, then somehow you will transcend uh, the, the limits of your current state of biology and become you know, humanity 2.0. Um, it, it is, a, it is a, a science fiction religion. Uh, that's why Christians need to be prepared to deal with this. But sadly, as I say, when we look at what Christians actually believe about the God of the Bible, and what we look at Americans believe, because of what Hollywood has been selling for the last 70 years, uh, sadly, Hollywood is doing a better job of selling their message than we Christians are doing of selling the gospel. I, I believe that's probably the most powerful statement that you can make, and not that everything isn't powerful, but the point being is, is that they will not receive the truth, but they will wholeheartedly embrace a lie. And, yeah. and you know, you're seeing that in, in, in just takeaway stuff that everything is confusion nowadays, and so, you know, the, the, the you know, the aliens, the ancient aliens, over there, you know, there are some 
classic uh, presentations of, of flying, quote, saucers or whatever, and, you know, some of the ta- tapestries and some of the, uh, you know, the, like the Vimanas and, and the 16th century of, you know, shows an ancient astronaut rocketing across the sky. You know, it looks like, uh, uh, I forget the name of the guy that uh, painted that, but there's a lot of stuff. So, in essence, wouldn't you say that, Satan has now been writing the script that is taking place and playing out before our very eyes, and it's astonishing. These are my terms, so I'm not out of words, but it's astonishing how people, since they're so used to watching movies, have lost their critical reasoning skills, and they will believe that versus the God of the Bible. Well, yeah, and it's it's not a new thing. I mean, you know, humans have been dupes for the uh, the enemy's lies for a very long time. Um, one of the things I'm working on for my follow-up to my, my first book, The Great Inception, is the, this practice of ancestor worship by the pagan nations around ancient Israel. Apparently, that was a really important thing. And in fact, uh, some of these nations, the Amorite nations in particular, believed that they were descended from the Rephaim, who were the, the kings, the deified kings of, of, you know, of their ancestry. Uh, um, right. So, it, it, But again, it's the same lie. It's, ye shall be as gods. If we if we, you know, present these sacrifices to the uh, to the Rephaim of the earth uh, that we're summoning to bless the new king, well, then things will go well for us. They will give us power. They will, uh, uh, you know, uh, bless the land so that our crops are good and we're protected from our enemies, etc., etc., etc. So, you know, we've been we've been falling for their lies for a very very long time. I, we we get a picture of what the ancient world was like. But, but from a narrow angle, when we read the Old Testament, uh, and you know, the, the Bible was not predominantly, not mainly intended to be a, a book of history. Um, when we broaden our view a little bit and, and look at what the, uh, the ancients around ancient Israel believed, the Bible makes more sense because we can see that God specifically responded to uh, things that the pagans around them believed because of the lies of the enemy. Um, and one of those things that we dealt with, Steve, and maybe we can, you know, get into this in the next hour because this will take a little time to unpack, is uh, the, uh, the the god of chaos and um, right, yeah, Le- Leviathan and and the return of of the god of chaos. That's something that that is um, a, a part of the teachings of some of the the occultists from Aleister Crowley and especially his his successor Kenneth Grant uh, down to present day with the Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino and and his uh, Temple of Set. Um, it is something that, uh, whether they know it or not, uh, is something that is prophesied in the Bible, this return of the God of chaos. And uh, um, they're, they're looking forward to it, but they don't, apparently they've not read the end of the book because um, their guy, things don't go well for him. No, and then again, chaos, you know, the void, the chasm, we can get to that in the next hour. But if you think of this, they're looking for the return of it. They're also trying to bring, and this was told to me, Derek, by a four-star special forces general, whom I know, okay, active duty. He said they are trying to even, uh, uh, what's the word, this is my word, uh, change the atmosphere to the very chaotic times, those were his words, that used to be on the planet before God bound those entities, okay, for the sake of mankind. And when you read Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, you know, and darkness was upon the face of the earth, and the earth was without form and void, in Greek, you know, that's going to be chaotic, you know. 
It means right. that they they are literally worshiping. A confu- uh, I, this is a quick and uh, quick paraphrase, but they're literally worshiping a confusing darkness that basically they believe they're the progeny of versus God is light, you know, and Jesus is the light of the world. You know, it, it, and, and I'm, I believe in giving every man an answer, as you do too and as we all do. But what is astonishing to me that it's true, we're like in Romans chapter 1, you know, we're still, we're still embracing. And, and listen, in this country, the United States of once was America, uh, we are absolutely embracing more foreign gods. You can laugh at the, you know, naked natives in the Amazon or the New Guinea highlands or whatever, you know, with their, their uh, let's just say, this unusual dress. But the point is, they know the difference between good and evil spirits, and now we're in the time of Jeremiah, I think. Wasn't Jeremiah said, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the bottom line is, it's the uh, as righteousness decreases, and, and I'm talking about just doing unto others, you know, as you would have them do unto you. It's battlefield earth time, which, by the way, of course, was a Scientologist and, and a, a, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, battlefield earth with, uh, the whole idea is this, is that we are, we are now under probably the most, uh, according to the, the Bible, God's holy word. We're on and in the midst of the most, uh, critical battle of all creation. Jesus said, if there's never been anything like it, nor would be again, except the days be shortened, for the sake of the righteous, there'd be no flesh left alive. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're in this thing, there, and, and you started this conversation out, the interview, with to serve man. You know, obviously, and everybody who would like to see that on uh, Twilight Zone, go look up on YouTube, Twilight Zone, but notice the guy was a giant. Remember that? I think it was Ted yeah. Cassidy. So, so the thing is, is that, and this is this this is the thing that launched me when I started doing this stuff, you know, forty five years ago, writing about Genesis six and stuff, and talking about it at least. The idea was simply this: that giants and supernatural uh, entities and beings. This was after I accepted Jesus. The point being is, is that that's the only way you can account for things beyond the scale of man and the knowledge of even what the cave painters painted in Lascaux, you know, or, or the different cave paintings around the world. They used to think, oh, it's just a bison or it's just a wildebeest or an animal. Uh-uh, those were stellar star charts. And they had to get the information from somebody. So we're, we're, we're at it. This, this is battlefield earth time, and actually we'll call it battlefield hagman time. And Steve, that's a great place to stop. We're right at the break. Folks, our guests are Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Derek Gilbert. Uh, Derek, your latest book is The Great Inception, correct? Uh, no. The Great Inception is my solo book, and then the uh, the new book, which is just out uh, this week, uh, is co-authored with Josh Peck, and that's The Day the Earth Stands Still, Unmasking the Old Gods Behind E.T.'s UFOs and the Official Disclosure Movement. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Derek and where to get this book. We'll be right back with Steve and Derek for the whole hour. Coming right up. You know, it's an amazing thing to think. WikiLeaks... This subject is, is was addressed in WikiLeaks, and of course the um, 
most of the attention, of course, went to the political, but it's, again, starting out the conversation at uh, the beginning of the program, talking about with the WikiLeaks about Podesta, Edgar Mitchell, and about the evolution of the topic here. The as the topic evolved, very interesting and and very timely. Our guests are Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com, and Derek Gilbert, who I had the, just the, the greatest opportunity to meet and to experience his lecture along with uh, Sharon Gilbert, his, his wife, at uh, in Branson, Missouri, with Steve Quayle. So it, it was a fascinating time there. But th- this is a fascinating topic. Uh, Steve, I'm going to kick it to you uh, to continue the train of thought of Derek Gilbert, yours and Derek Gilbert. So thank you. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I think one of the things that I address, I'm going to turn it right over to, to Derek, and this is this is kind of where did the chaos come from? Because, again, there's an argument on Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, and you can deal with this, Derek, if you want, or throw it back when you're through dealing with it, but how an ancient entity of chaos has influenced the world since the beginning of time. Because the beginning of time for us is Genesis in the Garden of Eden. But the point is, prior to that, and this is where a lot of the ancient architecture and the stuff that's not human size comes into play. So uh, you want to take on the chaos. And by the way, I want to get to uh, the killer question tonight that you can answer, whether we can know when these otherworldly beings will return and that when they'll begin to, you know, uh, how should I say this, be welcomed openly as our saviors. Let's go with chaos first. Well, you mentioned Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. And, and of course, in Genesis 2, we, we read that uh, darkness was upon the face of the deep, um, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The, the, the word translated deep in Hebrew is the word tehom, which is a cognate, which means same word, different language, uh, to an Akkadian word, temtum, which was their name for the Sumerian chaos dragon, which was represented by the sea, the chaos dragon Tiamat. Now, there, there is a, a common theme in ancient religion. Uh, the Sumerians, the Mesopotamians, the Akkadians, Babylonians, the Canaanites, the Greeks, the Egyptians, and of course in the Bible, all had a belief that their warrior god, or that a warrior god, had to defeat this chaos dragon. Uh, for the Sumerians, it was their god Enlil who defeated Tiamat, and then it was uh, their war god Ninurta who defeated Tiamat. But then the Canaanites said, no, no, it was Baal, Hadad, the storm god, who defeated Tiamat. Well, then they, they, you know, as time went on, then it became Yam, the god of the sea, the god of the... And that's why I argue in The Great Inception, by the way, that the, uh, uh, the, the Red Sea parting took place in front of a place called Baal Zaphon. Uh, another story... But it was, it was a consistent theme repeated over and over. And why? Because something like this actually happened. We get the story in the Bible. The Bible is very clear. Yahweh, basically, by the second verse of the Bible, has already defeated Tiamat, Tehom, Temtum, the chaos dragon, the chaos represented by the sea. Isaiah records how uh, you know God crushed the heads of Leviathan, uh, talked about defeating Rahab. Um, but even though, it, because it's a supernatural entity, even though it's been defeated, it is not yet dead. And there are those out there who still want chaos, want the return of this chaos monster, uh, and are actively working for it. In fact, that was something that, again, turned up in this, this strange chain of belief that stretches from um, 
Helena Blavatsky through Alistair Crowley uh, and, and his successor, Kenneth Grant, down to the present day. Um, the Chaos God went by different names in the ancient world, uh, Tiamat to the Sumerians, uh, Lotan, or that, which is the Canaanite name for Leviathan in the Bible, um, Yam, the god of the sea, to the uh, Greeks it was Typhon, uh, to the Egyptians it was Set, the god of chaos. And so Aleister Crowley, when he turned over his um, Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO, uh, to Kenneth Grant, who had been his personal secretary, uh, Grant worked with the magical system Crowley had developed, but believed that uh, by the 1950s, about 10 years after Crowley died, that he had detected, he said, a set serious current in the magic. In other words, he believed he was hearing from an entity coming from the vicinity of the planet Sirius that was the god, the Egyptian god Set, this chaos god. So he transformed Crowley's OTO into what he called the Typhonian order, or the Typhonian OTO, based on the Greek name for this chaos god, Typhon. He believed, Kenneth Grant, that this god Typhon was returning, that chaos was returning, and that we needed somehow to master a magical system in order to harness the forces of chaos as humanity then would transform into its next um, spiritual incarnation as we graduated to the next level of evolution. I'm not quite sure what. I'm not an expert on uh, the occult. But it's. I think it's more than coincidental and again, I'm not trying to demonize anybody because maybe they don't even know that they're doing this, but the two efforts, the two organizations that are trying to make contact with extraterrestrial entities, uh, the Center for the Search for Extraterrestrial Inter Intelligence and the, uh, uh, and the Search for Extraterrestrial, in uh, extraterrestrial Intelligence, C-SETI and SETI are both uh, based on the Egyptian word SETI that literally means man of set, man of the chaos god. Now, again, maybe that's a coincidence, but I'm not a coincidence theorist. I, I tend to believe things happen for reasons. Um, so Grant, uh, again, with this, this Typhonian order and this, this belief that an extraterrestrial god of chaos is returning, that, that sounds a lot like the fiction of H.P. Lovecraft, the guy who invented the, uh, the Call of Cthulhu and wrote... Uh, or created the Necronomicon, which uh, somehow appeared in the 1970s in New York City, this uh, book of ancient evil spells that uh, uh, was supposedly uh, you know, part of the, the mythos created by the uh, horror fiction author H.P. Lovecraft. Um, but Lovecraft is a strange link in this chain between the, uh, the, the theosophists who followed Blavatsky and the... Um, uh, the, the occultists and Satanists who followed Aleister Crowley, because Grant was convinced that H.P. Lovecraft and Aleister Crowley had been channeling or hearing from the same spirit, even though H.P. Lovecraft claimed that he was an atheist, a man of science. He, he didn't believe in the supernatural realm. He was more than happy to write horror fiction based on the existence of a supernatural realm and to draw on the writings of people like Helena Blavatsky and the Theosophists as inspiration for his horror fiction. Uh, Grant was convinced that, regardless of what Lovecraft thought, that he was being influenced by these by the spirit realm and specifically the same spirits that influenced uh, Aleister Crowley. 
the link to our modern ancient aliens believers is this. In the 1950s and 60s, the writings of Lovecraft, who died in 1937, had picked up a, uh, a following in Europe, and specifically in France. And a couple of authors in France uh, who had been publishing a magazine, a science fiction magazine called Planet, uh, guys named uh, Louis uh, Powells and Jacques Bergier, uh, wrote a book in 1960 called Morning of the Magicians. And in 1963, this was translated into English uh, under the title Dawn of Magic. And basically, they drew on everything that Lovecraft had written in his fiction um, to put forward the theory that uh, extraterrestrials that the, were, were our old gods, that uh, ancient astronauts were our old gods responsible for creating the human race, and this is the theory of Zechariah Sitchin, not coincidentally, um, and that they were someday going to come back and, and visit us again. Um, this book sold very well, and like anything else that in, that's uh, in the creative realm, whether it's a book or a movie uh, or music, if something new sells, people will copy it. Well, in 1970, a hotel manager in Switzerland wrote a book based on the, uh, the work of Powell's and Bergier, to the point that Powell's and Bergier uh, threatened a lawsuit. Um, that, uh, and this book, written by this Swiss hotel manager, became the best-selling book of archaeology of all time, based on Powell's and Bergier, which was based on H.P. Lovecraft, who was inspired by the same spirit as Aleister Crowley. And that book was Chariots of the Gods by Eric Let Lundana. me Let me, hey, Derek, that's really critical that people understand that, okay? Because, again, the thing is, is that what you're seeing here is everything in the world, you know, we're dealing with uh, World War II and then forward of World War II, as, uh, all, as even British intelligence was involved in the occult, so were right. the Nazis. And what was interesting is the combination of, let's just say, uh, left-hand Nazis and right-hand Nazis and uh, Satanists, they all seem to converge, and obviously after 1947, but what you're just saying there is absolutely critical, because when Von Donneken wrote Cherry of the Gods, it was probably the most, uh, what would you say, and uh, most upsetting uh, and most confrontational piece of, uh, or puzzle piece for ancient history that anybody had ever uh, put forth, uh, uh, drawing from its predecessors. Absolutely, yeah. And again, uh, it, it, there's a direct link there when you go back through the work of the guys who, um, uh, you know, Powell's and Berger, who basically used Lovecraft as their inspiration. Uh, and uh, if, if Kenneth Grant, who was Aleister Crowley's personal secretary and successor, was correct that Lovecraft was inspired by the same spirit that, had, uh, that, that uh, Crowley had been channeling, then you've got a direct connection between whatever it was that inspired Aleister Crowley to create Telema and uh, you know his book of the law, Do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Uh, and there's some even more bizarre connections, some very specific things that I go into in the, in, in the book. Uh, Josh and I uh, dug into this uh, through the work of uh, Peter Lavenda, who's a, a very respected researcher into the occult and shows that there's some really weird coincidences between what Lovecraft wrote and what Crowley wrote 20 years earlier that uh, unless Lovecraft had been a student of Crowley, and there's no evidence that he was familiar with Crowley's work at all, it just is, is almost impossible to believe. Um, so you've got this direct link, this spiritual link from the spirit right. behind Aleister Crowley 
and the spirit and this idea that our gods, the gods of the ancient world, were actually astronauts. Now, why would the enemy want to convince us that uh, the gods of the ancient world, the pagan gods of the ancient world, weren't gods at all, but were just extraterrestrials? Well, again, because we're now in a scientific culture, we're more likely to believe in the magic of our iPhones than to believe that God can supernaturally heal, that supernaturally deliver people who are afflicted by drug addictions and addictions to um, uh, alcohol and pornography and, and so forth. Um, we, are, you know, our children are coming out of the crib with smartphones and tablets in their hands, and they see the technology. And of course, you know, Hollywood is playing on this with the, all of these films that show what a wonderful thing it would be uh, to be uh, an enhanced human, like one of the X Men. Um, there, there's a whole line of fiction that's being published by Disney now, based on the idea, of, you know, of, of teen demigods. Uh, a special school like Hogwarts, you know, this is like the next generation of Harry Potter, where you have the special school for wizards and uh, and witches. Um, a, a new series based on the work of author Rick Reardon, aimed at teens and uh, especially preteens, to show them how cool it would be if you were actually the, uh, uh, the the son or daughter of one of the Greek gods or one of the Norse gods. Um, <laughs> they're they're you putting know what? out. Here, let me. Yeah, you brought up something too. I think that people have got to understand in all of this stuff and all of it from day one of recorded intermingling between the occult or spirit forces and human beings the and again look at the fallen angels drawn by the beauty of women obviously to pervert the human race but the whole uh, Hollywood, Hollywood exposure, pun intended, of just the true, the extremes between Satanism and all of the pedophilia and all of the, you know, sexual this, sexual that, isn't it, it, it gets right back to the thing. Ritual sex magic and all of the uh, uh, satanic ritual abuse always, always, always has to uh, interfere with that and to break down the the little child's will or the person's will and is it fascinating that from Genesis 1 you know through excuse me Genesis 6 forward that we see the same thing isn't it fascinating Derek and this is something I was thinking about today we're dealing we're dealing with fallen angels having sex with earth women and now we're dealing with people who are openly professing satanism trying to take the moral high ground and what they've done with children and with each other and and the whole if you will uh, and and the what do I say this? Uh, let's call it the pornification. Okay, that's <laughs> where pornification and and it's the the word would simply mean this is that that the procreative capacity that God gave created man initially to reproduce his image and likeness, meaning God's image and likeness, as you've explained, but to let us be, if you will co-creators in that realm, you know, it's it's astonishing because I can't say it the way the world says it, but the whole world truly is messed up in the sexual realm, and you cannot get away from ritual sex magic, even in Hollywood, whether it's uh, Mansfield's death or Marilyn Monroe or going back before then. The fascination in Hollywood now, the perversion of children, the Disney... Uh, uh, you know the the let's just say this less than four star and four stellar portrayals in the cartoons, and now what we see is we're seeing, if you will, the complete control of society by these very entities that have destroyed the worlds before them. 
That's my statement. So if, if people nope. embrace that which destroys them, they will not embrace he who will save them, forgive them, and give them power, literally power over all the power of the devil. The powers of the occult, is, is it, to me, it's inversely proportional to the degree that the church, those who call themselves Christians or believers in the God of Israel, in the uh, Messiah Jesus, in the Savior of the world, they are not even appropriating the power that God promised them, yet the devil's crew has taken everything and anything to get power over the people that got it but won't use it. And I don't know if that's a clear enough way to say it. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the Bible is clear. You know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when you look at the... Uh the true nature of the confrontation that that's taken place in the Bible, and, and this is the thing that blows my mind. I mean, you 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 were there. You saw my presentation in in Branson, and I've stumbled onto some stuff beyond that that is even more mind-boggling regarding the the pagan rituals of the ancient world. Um, when you look at that confrontation, I mean, you're, you're talking about a. a long war that involves uh, angels and demons and wizards and warlocks and monsters and and heroes and and valiant uh, soldiers performing mighty deeds but in the spirit realm some of the mightiest deeds are done in the prayer closet um, that is our mightiest weapon in this war and yet so many of us have we we have it's it's like this that that famous line that was used in the film the usual suspects the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist that's what this et gospel is about the devil doesn't exist the gods don't exist we are our, our, our ancestors were just too primitive to to know what they were looking at when they saw a a spacecraft and now that you are advanced enough to understand, we are here to welcome you into the brotherhood, the, the galactic brotherhood, the, the great white brotherhood. The Ashtar Command is here to welcome you, if you will just open your minds to us and, you know, uh, and, and allow us to guide you to, in your spiritual enlightenment. And this is where, like I say, the uh, serious researchers in, in the UFO community are really having a problem, because you've got people who are... Uh, preaching this, who are now working at the highest levels of the mutual UFO network, which is really disturbing. There's uh, a... I don't want to name names, because again, I don't want to demonize anybody, because we want all to come to Christ and be saved, but somebody who's preaching a gospel that she claims to be hearing from a 36,000-year-old warrior from Lemuria <laughs> is on the advisory council for MUFON. And the serious researchers are really having a problem with this. Well, sure. It's just like the classic line of Bill Murray when Sigourney—I uh, Sigourney, can't pronounce her name—Sigourney or Sigourney Weaver, you know—is yeah. basically manifesting all types of demons. He calls her a prehistoric female dog. How's that for being? Yes. Yeah, that's as <laughs> tactful as I get. And basically, they're—they're they're listening. It's almost like this. It's almost like uh, somebody said, "If you're going to take the devil's bait." Don't don't complain about when he goes fishing with you. And the thing is, is that we're we're talking about nonsense. I want to ask your question on this too. And ladies and gentlemen, by the way, I would encourage you to get Derek's book and this one too. But the Great Inception, the presentation he gave at Branson at the True Legends Conference was absolutely, and I'm saying this not to flatter him, 
but it was a wonderful, wonderful key to unlocking the ancient history. And that's why Derek started out, because the way it, that thing flowed. And by the way, uh, you can go on my website and up in the right-hand corner, stevequail.com, and order the True Legends Conference. Derek, all the response I've gotten, uh, Dr. Michael Lake, your presentation, everybody's presentation, Tim Alberino's, Tom Horn's, you know, it was outstanding. But it, it, And you know this, there was a central theme from start to finish. This is where the lie started. This is how it was carried in out in history. This is carried out through history, and here's where it all ends. So, you know, I'd encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, that, and I've heard from all over the world, because those DVD sets have gone out all over the world, no exaggeration, and the idea is simply this, that if you want a coherent presentation of ancient history, contemporary history, and future results, I can't recommend that any higher, and people are, uh, even today, you know, uh, somebody sent me, they've, I don't know, they've watched it three or four times, that's 40 hours, you know, at least, no, actually, probably more than that. So, you know, congratulations on the great inception, but, you know, the earth stands still. I mean, we're, here's another way to put it. Right now, the world's holding its breath for the cosmic savior who is to come. And do you remember, Derek, when the god Anubis, you know, the false god, little g, was paraded through the United States, and now we've got the temple of Baal, you know, and we've got Baal, Baal, some people pronounce it Baal, and, you know, we've got all these, we have the crystal skulls, I mean, it's not like, you know, and I'm sorry to say this, but when it comes to spiritual whoredom, man, the United States has turned into the greatest house of uh, spiritual prostitution that would make the brothels of Europe blush, okay? Because, in essence, we've gone from a coherent, uh, value-driven society with, uh, you know, common language, common history, the love of freedom. Now it's a hodgepodge, but I remember watching each place, and this is what people don't understand, where those statues were brought into, they were de- they were consecrating the land to other gods. And, and that, that, to me, was one of the most striking, in-your-face, uh, uh, apathetic and indifferent responses to that. Because, look, we're talking about ancient gods, aren't we? You're talking about a 36,000-year-old prehistoric female dog. You know, <laughs> that's my term, not yours. Don't hold Derek responsible for Steve. The point is is that we're talking about the same old stuff. And the same old stuff becomes today's savior. Uh, yesterday's vanquished, demonic, and fallen angels will become tomorrow's leaders. And it's my contention, Derek, I'm going to turn right back to you, that it is the fallen angels who rule behind the scenes. It isn't the Rothschilds or Rockefellers. They're just puppets on right and left hand. But the fallen angels are the ones that are pulling the stream. So how can we know in, in, in your mind? Here's a, you know, I wish I would have asked you this right at the beginning. What is it going to be? What series of events or statements are going to be made that is going to say to Derek Gilbert and to Josh Peck, when these otherworldly beings will return. What do you see as maybe one or two things that you're going to go, you're going to turn to Sharon and say, yep, yep, they're here. Not that they're not already here. I'm talking to the masquerading evil ones. But what what are the events or, if you will, the actions you're going to see so people can learn that, so they can pray about it and not be afraid or, seduct, or seduced by it? 
Well, I think the, uh, there are all kinds of scenarios out there in, in how this, this might happen. And the reason we chose the title of the book that we did, The Day the Earth Stands Still, is because we think that's a pretty good template for how this might happen. Um, a craft lands um, either in, uh, in New York in front of the United Nations or in Washington in front of the White House or, or some other place, you know, the, the Vatican, you know, St. Peter's Square perhaps. And um, a, a, an entity steps out and identifies himself, you know, we are the gods that your ancestors knew, and et cetera. So, so something to that effect would be a pretty good template for how something like this could happen. I, I think the enemy is, is more likely to present himself that way than, say, the Independence Day scenario, um, where, uh, you know, the, these big motherships show up and start blowing up the planet. In fact, I would say it's more likely that if the motherships show up and start destroying the Earth, that those are the extra, those are the genuine extraterrestrials. Because I think the, the enemy being subtle, you know, Satan described as the father of lies by Jesus himself, in other words, by God himself, um, is right on the money. That's why the Apostle Paul was led to warn us that Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. Look at what they have to say about God and about Jesus Christ, what they have to say about Jesus Christ in particular, what they do with Jesus, what anyone does with Jesus, is key to understanding where they're coming from theologically. Um, if, as Paul said, they, anyone comes preaching a different gospel, and the gospel is very, very simple, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 lays it out, good friends of ours, uh, Kelly and Preston Condra, have written a book that draws on this for the title of the book, By Which We Are Saved. Uh, when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, uh, and, wherein we, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved. And skipping down, it's very simple. Um, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I mean, that, that is pretty simple. If anyone comes preaching a different gospel from that, as Paul wrote, let him be accursed, let him be anathema, let him be eternally cursed. If anything, regardless of how beautiful it is, shows up, whether it's in the privacy of your bedroom, uh, as, as there, you know, there are stories, I, in fact, stumbled on the one at one of the British tabloids just the other day. A woman says she prefers having sex with spirits. Okay. Um, if that sounds, sounds, a little, that sounds a little spooky to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, in, sorry, in the literal sense. Yes. But, you know, regardless of where this entity appears, if it's in the privacy of your home, a one-on-one -on -one confrontation, or if it's on, you know, on national television, standing in front of the United Nations, preaching a different gospel. We are here to free you from the, 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 uh, the hypocrisy of religion and the, uh, the, the primitive beliefs in these uh, imaginary... Okay, if this this thing is saying that, regardless of how real it looks, how physical it looks, what its technology looks like, it is preaching a different gospel. Let it be cursed, and you know, hold fast to that. As as the apostle Paul wrote, hold fast to the gospel that he preached, the gospel by which we are saved. Jesus died for our sins, rose again on the third day. Um, and it's all in accordance with the scriptures. And remember, regardless of what happens and how real this deception looks, your status as an imager of God, your status as one created in the image of God, his moral representative on earth, his agent on earth, does not change regardless 
of what steps out of that craft on the White House lawn. Uh, yeah, I'm just worried the first words out of his mouth is whoever the alien is, he's going to say, now go find my daughter, Hillary. <laughs> well, Tom writes about that in Saboteurs. That's uh, yes. an interesting little yeah. development. Or, or yeah. uh, you know, or, um, uh, no, I won't say that one. That'll get me in too much trouble. But, uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to be kinder and gentler. So we're, where we're at now, Derek, though, is honestly this. Now we see the attack on the Gospels. We see, uh, you know, the attack on Paul. I mean, there are people on talk radio saying this, but they, they forget to leave the, the important thing out. You've got a miraculous transformation of a persecutor of the Christians who absolutely has his, uh, you know, uh, experience uh, and he is transformed, and God gives him this incredible revelation. Now people are saying, well, that's not good enough. You've got to go back under the law. You've got to, you know, go to your Hebrew roots and stuff. Here's the deal. You know, they've got to understand that the greatest attack will come upon God's greatest gift. Number one, first and foremost, Jesus. And number two, his grace through repentance, okay, and faith in his son. I see that now being the battlefield within the time, and Tom and I have talked about this when he wrote uh, Blood on the Altar, the time where God will, where people will kill us saying they're doing God a favor. Obviously the Muslims believe that, but it will come even within once what was once known as Christendom. I can tell you this, some of the Flat Earth guys want to, you know, go to the OK Corral. And uh, <laughs> and and so the point being is, is that, uh, I, I, you know, the 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 trails that the devil is throwing are so not only trails forgive me the evidence the devil is presenting is just false evidence appear, appearing real the definition of fear or whatever somebody made that acronym up but aren't you surprised that you know you deal with Whitley Strieber I, I interviewed him a couple times years ago after communion came out and he was and maybe still and I haven't talked to him in years so if somebody wants to correct me on this but in his book he said he had always thought that aliens were aliens but he couldn't get away from the fact that these were demons and everybody who's a famous and I'm talking Christian or non-Christian they cannot get away from the fact that there is the spiritual element to aliens there is yeah. a deception there is a spiritual element and I don't know have you ever personally Derek interviewed uh, Whitley uh, no, I have not. Um, we did have the opportunity when we were at, we, uh, uh, Josh Peck, myself, Sharon, uh, went down to uh, Roswell, New Mexico for the uh, UFO festival this past year. It was the 70th anniversary, which, again, a significant number. Um, and we interviewed a number of people who were speaking at Guy Malone's uh, Challenges to the Extraterrestrial Hypothesis Conference. Uh, and he had a number of Christian speakers, uh, such as Joe Jordan himself, but also um, a number of uh, agnostics who don't believe that the extraterrestrial hypothesis explains the UFO phenomenon. But when we talked to Joe, we also talked to a, uh, a woman who has been featured on, on programs about alien abductions going back to the 90s. I remember seeing the, the program that she was on back in the 90s called uh, Sightings, I think was the program. Uh, she's from our area here in the Ozarks. Her name is Joyce Ahrens. And she and her family had been subjected to what they believed were alien abductions for many years. Now, we need, need to make it very clear that there is a difference between the UFO phenomenon and the alien, and I'll use that word in air quotes, the abduction phenomenon. Those are two separate issues. The UFO phenomenon, many of the things that people see, and 
call UFOs, you know, uh, are, are simply misidentified objects. The planet Venus, um, you know, uh, we've got the Geminid meteor shower happening tonight. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a meteor in the sky that uh, can't be identified. Sometimes it's a secret government craft that they just don't want us to know about. There are some, as I mentioned in the last hour, that are legitimate deceptions by the enemy, things that are extra-dimensional, which is how these craft can appear to violate the laws of nature, uh, the laws of physics, that is. But the abduction phenomenon is something completely different. The, this is a real phenomenon. It is really happening. People are being contacted by entities. They are being, in many cases, um, abused and often in a sexual nature by these entities. It's a very traumatic experience, and yet some people find that because they feel special, like they've been chosen for whatever is being done to them, that they don't really want the phenomenon to stop. Now, Joyce, in her case, desperately wanted to stop it, was looking for help, found Joe Jordan, if I remember the story correctly, through a newspaper article about Joe in a, uh, uh, in a Florida newspaper, got in touch with him, had some conversations with him, was not really open to hearing his message, which was the gospel message, um, at first, but eventually, in desperation, called on the name of Jesus during the next uh, incident as it was occurring, and this entity disappeared. And this was consistent with Joe's research as a former state-level uh, state director for the uh, MUFON in Florida when he began looking into this research, that uh, this is a phenomenon that is real, it is unpleasant, uh, it speaks to the intentions of these entities, which are not good. Uh, there is no way to describe this phenomenon uh, other than to call it evil. I mean, if these entities are truly as advanced as the contactees and abductees say they are, then surely they know they are inflicting trauma and pain upon these people who are being taken against their will, and yet they continue to do it, apparently. Again, this speaks to their intention. Um, but, as Joe found, the phenomenon can be stopped by calling on the name of Jesus Christ, and then faith, belief in Jesus Christ, is enough to get this to stop. It doesn't mean that the entities won't try, won't oppress uh, people who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would suggest that if you're not being attacked at some time in your life by the enemy, it may be that you're not posing much of a threat to the enemy's plan. But setting that aside, uh, this, I think, is an aspect of the, uh, the phenomenon, the abduction phenomenon, uh, a, a part of the overall UFO question that really needs to be addressed by the Church, because... People who are being abducted, who are being contacted by these aliens, are being lied to. They're being traumatized, and sadly, and this is one of the things I covered in the in the book. Uh, we covered in the book is that uh, they're not getting help from the UFO community because the UFO community sees these experiences as confirmation of what they want to believe, which is that ET is real. He's here, and ET is um, is about and the existence of ET is about to be disclosed to the benefit of mankind. Can I ask you a question, because you've detailed it very clearly. When when you write and I write and we go back in history, whether it's Lilith the night hag that would change into a demoness, would change into the form of a beautiful woman, have sex, and then devour the man, you know, um, in a, I'll say this, in an obstetric manner. The point being is, is that yet incubus and succubus, those are as old as history records.
it's always the sex thing, okay? And it's always the ritual magic thing. So how, and because I don't pay attention like you do to the UFO community, how do they separate the sheer terror and the human experiments that, uh, that are knowingly being done on the abductees, and whether it's our government's secret experiments or whatever. And by the way, people used to not believe that our government would do that until they find out all the revelations of WikiLeaks about pedophilia and the most powerful people in this country being partakers of it. Uh, how, do, how do they rationalize, or do they just not deal with it? Do they explain it away? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Well, the, uh, the reports of people uh, who are the, the people who are abducted and, and try to report this to somebody are, are in a, a difficult situation because there aren't many out there who believe that it's real for the most part. If you go to the, the police, what are they going to tell you? Uh, well, yeah, okay, <laughs> you're off your meds again, right? Uh, or you know, maybe next time go a little lighter on the uh, uh, on the booze or the pills or whatever. Um, people are, you know, when they go to their pastors, pastors aren't trained or equipped to 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 deal with with this type of story so they turn to the ufo community and sadly uh, even though this is a a traumatic experience for many of the people involved in it um, they are not directed to um, professionals who can give them uh, psychological and emotional counseling for a traumatic experience because again it's it's confirmation of what the um, the true believers in the UFO phenomenon want to be true. Uh, we, we don't want this person to get help. We want to use this person to um, to support our, our case. To so um, and so again, there are those telling who, me they just deny it and they don't want to deal with it because it undermines their false premise that hi, we're here and we're here to help you. You know. Well, but Isn't even that... those who, but but there are some even re, even some researchers, Steve, who who admit that this is a a uh, a very dark and and evil practice, such as David Jacobs and the late Bud Hopkins, um, didn't encourage people to get uh, professional psychiatric and psychological counseling and and help for the trauma that they were experiencing, because again, it 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 helped uh, support or substantiate their narrative that ETs are real and they're here uh, with evil intent. Well, the, the problem is they're not extraterrestrial, they are extra-dimensional, they are Correct. spiritual entities and, the, and we're not helping people by simply uh, you know, uh, drawing out their stories so that we can write them down and then use them to sell, sell books, okay? These are people who need help, not people who need to be um, you know, quoted as source material for the next uh, book, or, or or to have their stories turned into a movie treatment. Okay, um, there's a really good book I would recommend because this gentleman has done a lot more research on it than I have. I, I summarize a couple of of his conclusions. Uh, a fellow named Jack Brewer, who I met in in Roswell, didn't have enough of a chance to talk to him. I hope to do that more in the year ahead. Uh, who's got a book out there called The Grays Have Been Framed, and he goes deep into the say, the misuses and abuses of abductees uh, by the UFO community uh, over the past 70 years. People who needed help who weren't helped because they were more useful to certain people in the UFO community um, as source material for books and movie deals. And it's, it's tragic. 
because again, the the guys who are involved in this are 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 selling a narrative, even though they believe it's evil. They they are selling a narrative that is that is wrong. And again, the people who are the victims of this uh, abuse aren't being helped. And that uh, that is one of the points we wanted to make in the book, uh, The Day the Earth Stands Still. Um, the very fact that people are being traumatized speaks to the motives and the nature of the entities involved. Whether they're And, and again, we, we believe that we're dealing with uh, fallen angels and their demonic minions. I agree with that. Listen to this. I, and I didn't know this. This just came in from Amanda in Canada. Uh, she said, I just thought I would bring your attention to the new Marvel TV show called, and I don't know this, Marvel's Runaways, for the simple reason that there's a church in the show called the Gibberim, and it reveals right. the sacrifice of humans for some sort of resurrection or continue, their continuation. In other words, uh, what, an alien uh, vampirism? They can only uh, feast on human flesh to uh, be able to uh, prolong their own. And that brings us into the whole, uh, if you will, vampirism. Uh, are you familiar with that, Marvel's Runaways? Yeah, Sharon and I talked about this on um, our, our most recent podcast this past weekend, PID Radio. Uh, we haven't watched it yet. We, we intend to. Um, but, yeah, it, it just came to our attention within the last week, too. It's, well, where uh, can people see that? Is it on Skywatch TV? Uh, PIDradio.com is where we've got the podcast. Uh, it, okay. it's, uh, it's audio only. Um, we, we, yeah, we need to do something like this on, 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 on video on Skywatch TV. In fact, we, we've been talking for a year now. We, we just don't have enough hours in the day. Uh, but we need a program like this to warn people about how this idea is being sold to our kids and grandkids through television through video games through right and, and, and uh, you know you and I had talked in the past I think it's critical Japan and, and pun intended that's taken that country by storm is a attack on Titan yeah about the yeah. Giants. Now, that I've actually watched Yep, and I have too, but what's interesting, most people don't know this, that it's such a big deal. I think at the Tokyo Universal Studios, they actually have a place where you can walk in a giant's mouth who's salivating. I think you walk through its mouth into its stomach. Lovely, huh? And then, yeah. Derek, you saw that that first uh, restaurant. But when I put that link up on my site, now this is critical, because the lust for human flesh, cannibalism, okay, we're not going to go there, but in effect, you're talking about intergalactic uh, cannibals when they need human, and, and look what it is. It's always the extraction of sperm from the male, ovum from the women. There's always a hibernation or a, if you will, an experiment going on. And, uh, you know, I know I've talked to traumatized people. These people aren't making it up. They're not sitting around going, you know, two steps over the line. I mean, they're, they are absolutely being able, and they're not dealing with past regression or regression uh, hypnosis. And so when you see this, what, it's like a form of mental cannabis but it's also physical. Like the restaurant in Japan, I guess they're buying people that they, they sell their bodies ahead of time, and then you get to eat Uncle Joe. You get to take Uncle Joe, who passed away, out to lunch. That that When I put that up on my website, the servers crashed. Fortunately, I think it was uh, oh, uh, uh, 
uh, Stephen Stanford, that uh, Stanford that got that off of an uh, archive. But it was a real story. People say, ah, that was just pulling your leg. Uh-uh. In this case, it was a real story. So then we get the story about robots. And when you're dealing with chaos, Greek mythology, you're dealing with Talos, you know, the first robot uh, who lives on kind of like, if you will, a green blood called Iker. And now mm-hmm. you've got, you know, modern robots being stating that, well, gee, the battlefield's filled with energy. They just scoop them up, you know, and instead of burying the war dead, you just eat them up, chew them up, and drive your next uh, set of tank wheels to the next encounter, you know? The idea that these entities are benevolent is just astonishing to me. And someone says, well, you have a pre-position uh, bias that you think they're all evil. Well, I'll tell you what, from dealing with all the people I've dealt with, from interviewing everybody I've interviewed with, from literally watching uh, uh, people who are truly demon-possessed, having the strength as a little girl of, you know, five, six men who are like football players, literal statement, that's true, and and yet, you know, there's this denial. It's Here's what I'm trying to say, and I'll, I'll, this is my question. I'll shut up while you answer. There's a denial of God's supernatural ability, but there's an open embrace and longing for the devil's supernatural. Does that not seem like a dichotomy that sometimes is just makes you just shake your head and go, wow? Well, yeah, but again, it goes back to the research that I stumbled onto that secular scholars have been aware of for at least 40 years, going back in, to this ritual called the, the Liturgy of the Shades, which was the necromancy ritual for one of the last Amorite kings of the uh, kingdom of Ugarit, which is uh, in, you know, today it's, it's, it's in Syria, it's on the Mediterranean coast. They were literally summoning the spirits of the Rephaim, and right. the, spirits, the spirits of something called the Council of the Ditanu, which a scholar, docu- again, another secular scholar, documented the etymology of that word. Oh, yeah, that's the root of the word from which the Greeks got their name for their gods, the Titans. They were calling, summoning the spirits, the Council of right. the Titans, uh, to bless and empower their king. So this has been going on for a very, very long time. Uh, and, and before time gets away, and I forget, because Tom Horn will yell at me if I don't, uh, if I don't mention this, um, and circling back to the conversation with the uh, the abductee, uh, Joyce Aaron, um, Skywatch TV Store has the book The Day That Earth Stands Still as part of a package that includes uh, a, a, well, a, a number of items, over $300 worth of stuff all together, skywatchtvstore.com. But it includes, as part of this package, and I think one of the most important parts of the package, is the five-DVD set of interviews with experts in the field and one of those and including a couple of people who are themselves abductees uh, or contactees guy malone for one um, but joyce aarons happened to be there and we and she graciously agreed to take part in the interviews that we were conducting in roswell this past summer this is an interview that's never been broadcast anywhere um, and she revealed things that she says she had never disclosed in any interview before and when you see her story and see the, the, the just her breakdown in tears at the memory of these things that occurred to her before she was freed through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You will be convinced that this is a real phenomenon, and people like Joyce who don't know Jesus Christ because the church isn't prepared to help them. It will break your heart. Guy Malone is another who speaks to this. Um, Daryl Sims is is one who is a, a former um, a- abductee, 
turned private investigator who turns the tables on these entities, his story, that was a, one of the most jaw-dropping interviews I've ever been a part of in over, oh gosh, I counted the other day, as something like over 1,200 interviews I've done over the course of my broadcasting career. Uh, Tom Horn, uh, Paul McGuire, uh, uh, you know, George Jordan, Stan Dale, many other people as part of this, the, this, the five-DVD set, uh, none of these interviews ever broadcast before um, as part of the package, and you'll find this at the Skywatch TV store, along with our book, uh, Josh Peck's uh, latest collection um, called uh, Unraveling the Multiverse, and then um, uh, you know audio interviews featuring Tom Horn on, on this topic. Uh, again, you know when Tom Horn puts together a package deal for a book, he, he gives away he gives away the store, um, and the ladies uh, back there in the warehouse are cursing his name. Not not really. It's uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we joke yeah, that when Tom puts yeah, a deal he together, he's, the next away, one is yeah, he's going to give away a free RV with the next book uh, offer. But still, skywatchtvstore.com. Well, yeah, yeah, he's going to have to give you a trailer because he's given so many books away. I mean, you know, and, and this is critical because we talked about, you know, we have to get the young people. My definition of young people, I, I hope this fits, but my definition of young people that really have got to get trained in this stuff, Derek, they've got to read what you write, Tom writes, I write, others write, you know. I know Dr. Michael Lake has got his, uh, uh, you know, his whole package, but they need to get this stuff because, look, it's almost like there's a historic precedent for a generation that grows up that forgets not God, but the grandchildren of that generation, you know, or the the one that's coming. In other words, the young people, not the millennials, but the next group are the ones we've got to win for Jesus. Because Amen. outside of a miracle of God, you know, every the the I would say this: the Marxist uh, children at large are are not beyond redemption. But they've chosen the sandbox instead of the uh, library, and so we've got to get these books out to kids, and that's one of the best things. Now, parents, I, I posted a story, you cannot stand against evil of the globalists and turn your kids over to public education. That is the most dichotomous and ridiculous thing that you could do. You know, you can't uh, believe the Bible says that, you know, you're the salt of the earth and then let the heritage of the Lord go to hell because you're turning them into a bunch of basically people that hate God. And, Derek, yeah. this is why I want to thank you. The Great Inception, a great book, Earth Stands Still. I have a copy. You gave me a copy. It's just like everything else. You, you've got to get to it. But I think, you know, let me give you the closing uh, 10 minutes to close it out the way you want. And I want to thank you for coming on. Again, ladies and gentlemen, you need to get The Great Inception, The Earth Stands Still, and also the 10-DVD series. Look, this isn't a, just a pitch to sell 10 DVDs. I don't believe, and I think, Derek, you were there, and everybody, Doug, you were there, and those people that are listening were there. They've never been to a conference that had such a central theme that was consistent and that the presence of God was at, and I think that's a fair statement. No, absolutely. I, I, it, was, it was an honor to be a part of that, Steve, and, and uh, I, it, was, it was an experience that uh, I will count uh, as a treasured memory for the, for the rest of my life. I mean, being able to... Uh, to Open that conference is, was was a real honor, and I, I felt. And Timothy Alberino said this too. Um, when when we began to speak, we just felt that there was a a uh, a, a, a helper <laughs> that was uh, an unseen helper that was kind of guiding where we were going with it, with our with our talks and our presentation. And I think the people uh, who were there uh, felt that as well. Um, we, we, we talked over the last couple of hours about where you know what, what is behind the UFO phenomenon and, and why we as Christians are dealing with it, and, and I think there are a few key points. Uh, number one is the denial 
of the existence of God. If the enemy can convince us that we are simply the product of a genetic experiment conducted by highly advanced extraterrestrials thousands of years ago who are now returning to help us step up to the next level of evolution, um, then we, we will accept these, uh, th- this false gospel, the, these, uh, these false saviors with open arms. And they've accomplished half the goal, because most Americans, again, only 10% of America has a biblical worldview, has a true understanding of biblical Christianity. Sadly, among evangelical Christians, people who claim to be born again, and this is according to Barna Group Research, I'm not pulling these numbers out of the air, the number is still less than 20%. Still less than 20%. People who call themselves born again truly don't understand the gospel by which we are saved. They think that, they, well, that's, you know, we, we can spend two hours just on that topic alone and why that's, uh, why that's true. But because they've already gotten us to reject the idea of a creator God who loves us, who walked among us, became human flesh, sacrificed himself for us, died for our sins, and rose again on the third day, um, then the idea that an, of an alternate Savior is now in play. And that is being sold to us through various channels, whether it's through the transhumanist movement, which is something that uh, is going to be, I think, big on the agenda for Skywatch TV for 2018, or through the UFO phenomenon, through the the existence of ancient aliens, the return of the old gods. Um, we are the gods who created you thousands of years ago through our you know, superior technology, and now you have advanced to a point where we can share this with you and and, and make you one of our community. That is a lie from the pit of hell, but it's being sold to us through uh, so-called non-fiction programs on cable channels. It's being sold to our kids and our grandkids through video games, through television programs like this new program from, uh, uh, from Marvel Comics, uh, through the, uh, the superhero movies that are so popular in theaters over the last five or ten years. Comic books have been selling this idea since I was a kid, you know, for 50 years and more that the gods who walk among us <laughs> wear spandex and that we can be like them if we simply figure out how we can do, you know, how to, how to hack into our DNA. There, there is a movement afoot out there to, uh, of, of biohackers, amateurs who are literally trying to transform their own genetic code so that they too can be as gods. It's the same old lie just wrapped up in a different package. That's why we're addressing this. Um, in the book, The Day the Earth Stands Still, we deconstruct some of the stories, some of the most famous stories. Uh, just do it briefly, because this was not intended to be a, a thorough examination of the Roswell incident, or the Maury Island incident, or Kecksburg, or Rendlesham Forest. Those have been examined to death over the last 70 years. When you get right down to it, the the the... the the Mac Daddy of the UFO phenomenon is supposed to be the Roswell incident. And to this day, 70 years later, there is still no hard physical evidence that it was a legitimate extraterrestrial that landed in the desert near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. We talk about and show in the book how the intelligence community of the United States, and presumably of other nations as well, but specifically in the U.S., has been involved in the UFO phenomenon for the last 70 years. And so a critical thinker should say, well, gee, 
if the intelligence community is trying to sell this lie and has been for 70 years, how do we know that any of it is real? And to what end are they selling us this story? It may simply be that there are things they don't want the Russians to know. There may be a darker purpose behind it. The question is, what does it look like when we analyze this through a biblical lens? It looks to us, when you separate the UFO phenomenon and the intelligence community's misdirection plays from the abduction phenomenon, and look at what messages are being sold to contactees and abductees, which are consistently anti-Christian, the reports of the abductees and their experiences on board these alien craft consistently traumatic and undeniably evil, I think we have to look at a the extra dimensional hypothesis as being a more likely explanation and the intentions of these entities based on their messages and the way they interact with contactees and abductees is evil. That is the message that we need to present to the world. We have an answer for the UFO phenomenon. We as Christians, following the God who spoke the universe into existence, have a worldview that is big enough to accommodate this, to address this, and any other question that the world wants to throw at us, whether it's hidden history, alternate archaeology, or you know the modern UFO phenomenon. We as Christians have the answers. It's in the book. They are in the book the book if we just care to open it and look man fantastic uh, steve you've outdone yourself and, and derek gilbert <laughs> you've outdone yourself you guys man hit it out of the park it was such an important uh topic to discuss and and so relevant and and so timely and, and steve i want to thank you for for uh, taking care of the just, Thank I, you. It's a delight, have... and, and I get to interview Derek. It's kind of I get to be on the other side of the microphone. But, ladies and gentlemen, the day the earth stands still, very, very critical, and you must get the great inception. In my opinion, and obviously Derek's my friend, but in my opinion, that's probably one of the seminal works in history to deal with that period of time and how it gets to where. And, look, I've read a lot of stuff, and I've researched a lot more stuff. But, uh, you know, Derek had the hand of, a, of the Lord on him, as all those speakers did. And i got to tell you, Doug, thank you for making Hagman and Hagman such a viable and important part of, of training up the people of God for the most dangerous but the most outstanding and exciting period in history. Well said, and thank you for bringing the truth and information to the forefront. Gentlemen, thank you both. May God bless both of you and uh, keep you safe. And again, Thank our you. thanks for having uh, or for you being on. All right. God Good bless night. you. My honor. Thank you. All right. Folks, that'll do it for us. What a, what a fantastic program. Uh, <laughs> enough said, right? Yeah. That's all that needs to be said. Tomorrow, 9 o'clock, Doug Hagman Radio Show. and 2 o'clock, the Hagman Daily Show. And then join us back here for our flagship show at 7 o'clock, Global Star Radio, Blog Talk Radio, and YouTube Live. Uh, got a great show for you lined up for the flagship show tomorrow night. God bless.